Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So we're back in again for another exciting broadcast week. I've just been looking over notes. I got a lot of notes for today's show. Uh, this is going to be unique in, in Action Radio shows in that the entire uh, first hour, most of my uh, premises and information uh, come from comments on a Facebook post that I made um, over the weekend. I think Friday or Saturday morning. Well, it's Friday. I know it's after the show Friday because I, I don't have, have time to think in the mornings before the show. I'm too busy getting the show ready. Um, but then we go from there. Looks like Pianchi's on live chat, so let's see what he's got for us this morning. If he wants to type in something, uh, Pianchi, I'm sure will join us. Uh, certainly, well, maybe this hour, but certainly, uh, I think in the next hour with Jonathan, which is always interesting. And then we've got uh, Dorothy Diana with our sex and sensuality report uh, in the third hour. So Mondays are fun. Mondays are, are a great way to get the week uh, kicked off. Uh, Tuesdays we leap right into it again with uh, Brianna Cannon and Government Inquiry. Uh, in the first hour, and then uh, Josie Cossey with the Latino Report, uh, which is turning much more into the conspiracy report. <laughs> it's really kind of fun. Uh, Josie and I made a video over the weekend because she's in the area here, has a has Ruth's Uniform Store uh, in Pensacola. And everyone knows who she is, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So uh, Josie's, you know, and I'm going to get, uh, there's a bunch of folks I want to get in the area. Uh, Chief Dan Skyhorse of the uh, Santa Rosa Creek uh, Band, um, you know, formerly known as the Creek Tribe. Uh, there's a difference, and I've forgotten. Now we'll get uh, um, Chief Dan to explain that to us again. Uh, Derek Park is in the area, our financial reporter on Fridays. Uh, Candace, uh, uh, cowgirl Candace, our, our horse, uh, believe the journey horse person. Good morning, Pianchi. Uh, you just typed it in. Um, Candace is also in the area, so I want to get her as well. And we have some former folks that were uh, uh, part of the show that I'd love to get an interview as well. So, you know, uh, once action radio, always action radio. It's, it's, it's kind of like the Marines, you know, once you, uh, you know, once, once you've joined the group, you know, you're in it. it, it, it I think of it as kind of like a lifetime thing, because if you're of the character that does what we do uh, in terms of citizen legislation, that never really leaves you. I mean, you might leave action radio and people have come and gone from here, but what action, action radio never really leaves them um, because the idea of, of citizens writing the laws that we consent to be governed by um, is kind of neat. And it's also totally revolutionary, which makes it more interesting. All right. So let me go over a couple of little news stories. I've got, I only have an hour. You know, it sounds like a not a lot trying talking to, you know, talk for an hour, but once you start doing it, uh, it's really not that much time at all, but I can usually sum up pretty much everything I need to, you know, of what's happening uh, in the course of an hour. So let me get to my, my announcements. Uh, the first thing I was thinking about over the weekend uh, is that Sudan has become the new Ukraine. So ever since the, uh, um, the so-called, you know, either traitor or whistleblower, depending on how you look at it, the young men that allegedly released all those secret documents about how badly the war in Ukraine is going, uh, a lot of people think that was uh, a total plant. That was totally arranged because you've never, you haven't heard about him since. I mean, where is he? If he's such an evil person, why come, how come he isn't in the news? You know, Donald Trump, they thought was evil, and he was always in the news. And so the fact that the, the whistleblowing person, uh, the, the releaser of documents, the leaker, is not in the news tells me that there's a lot more to this. And so I had heard, uh, I forgot if it was a general or somebody on One American News was talking about the fact that this is most likely um, done on purpose. And the reason it's done on purpose is because the, the Brandon insurrection, in other words, Barack Obama and Susan Rice, um, and with Hillary Clinton, you know, trying to play a role, but I think being suppressed by those two, um, 
and Michelle Obama too. So you've got Michelle, Barack, and, and Susan are, are basically running the country behind the scenes. And the fact that Susan Rice left, that's another – I should put that in my thing too, Susan Rice. I'll, I'll add her to my, my collection of, of stories for this morning before we get to the main topic. Susan Rice. She's really interesting. I mean, she's like ultimate Washington insider. Uh, as corrupt as it gets, she's the one that lied to everybody. And I knew she was lying. You know, I, I, it was before I had a show, but uh, Benghazi, this has been, uh, this has happened at a spontaneous, you know, protest. It, BS. <laughs> there was nothing spontaneous about it. It was a prearranged attack, you know, with mortars and uh, I don't know if they had artillery, but they certainly had mortars, you know, rooftop snipers uh, and the whole bit. So, and that was organized because Hillary Clinton was, was uh, gun running through the Benghazi uh, embassy to, uh, uh, attack, you know, through, I think, uh, Sudan, <laughs> you know, uh, but they were trying to take, attack Assad of Syria. Gee, what a surprise. Where are we now? Sudan and Syria. Well, isn't that interesting? Well, apparently, so, so back to the leaker, you know, who put all these documents out there, uh, 21-year-old who had access to our most secret documents about what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and, and uh, hippos tap dance, <laughs> you know, chickens have lips. What, what are the other you know, misconceptions of life. But anyway, so the point of this is that those documents were released on purpose to tell everybody that it's a lost cause. It always was a lost cause. I always think it always was a lost cause because Russia's not going to lose to Ukraine uh, or the West for that matter. They're just not any more than we were going to lose to Russia and Cuba in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so they had to tell people the truth, but not admit that they lied. <laughs> and so they had these leaked documents. And it, it makes perfect sense. So they know the war is going badly. They've always known the war was going badly. They lied to the American people that the war was going well so that we would pay more money. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't our choice. They just took it. They just took our tax dollars, sent billions of tax dollars to Ukraine. And I guess they thought we'd feel good about it if we were winning, but we'd feel bad about it if we were losing. I mean, why are we spending all this money if we're losing? Well, my question is, why are we spending all this money? <laughs> None of our damn business. Um, stay out of the Ukraine. And certainly don't make them NATO. In fact, I wouldn't make any of the Warsaw Pact nations NATO. In fact, I'd get out of NATO. NATO, as we've said before, any usefulness for NATO ended when uh, Gorbachev and the Soviet Union collapsed. Okay, we're done. It's time to go home. See, the problem with most political folks is they don't know when to quit. It's like the environmentalists. They're still celebrating Earth Day. And I was just watching Kara McKinney on One American News talk about how the, the founder of Earth Day you know, murdered his girlfriend because she dumped him. Oh, oh there's a fine model for you. Uh, while we're at it, why don't we talk about the, the head of Kwanzaa, who was some, uh, I'm not sure who he was, and then, you know, but uh, he, he had a criminal record as well. And then, of course, you've got Angela Davis, who's a full professor um, in the University of California system, who blew somebody up. You know, so the, the left has a long tradition of protecting people. They're protecting the, uh, of the trans murder of the Nashville uh, children. So they're protecting this person. And where's the manifesto? It must have something really good, or it has something on Hunter Biden or both. That's my theory. Is uh, it's either an absolute rant against Christians, white people, Americans, men, you know, people that are are, are non-trans or, or whatever. Whatever it is, it's got to be something really good. And why the Nashville police didn't release it immediately, I don't know, because they were idiots. So the FBI comes in and takes it. Of course, someone should have kept the copy. I think somebody has a copy. They're just not releasing it, but they should. What are they worried about? What the FBI was freedom of information. Well, we can get prosecuted for for releasing something a criminal did. Oh, please. It's not, it's not like they're going to use it in a trial. You know, uh, she's dead. So they just get shot by the police. Anyway, we're going to talk about the trans thing, because the trans is probably the big social issue of our day, and that's what makes it so fascinating. So where's the manifesto? 
which police officer who got it. What, you mean to tell me they didn't photograph it on their cell phone? Of course they did. <laughs> you know, somebody has the manifesto. It's not just the FBI. And so some of the FBI should leak it. Come on, folks, get this, let's get this out of here. Let's see how bad it really is. Why, they think we can't have the information? It's like when they hid the stuff from us in Benghazi. <gasps> you can't know that we're running guns, you know, to, uh, to ISIS, <laughs> which is what they were doing, or, or you know, some radical uh, group. You know, it's, it's pretty bad anyway, so that's what's going on. All right, so Sudan is the new Ukraine because the permanent war class has to go somewhere. So they need to switch the money to Sudan. That's why Sudan is in the news all the time. And why Ukraine isn't, because Ukraine's going badly. And they couldn't lie that Ukraine's going badly, so they released the documents um, blaming some leaker kid who's probably going to make a fortune behind the scenes. I mean, this is he'll, he'll be the next Ray Epps. <laughs> That's how this works, right? So I'm sure Ray Epps committed some horrible, you know, traitorous act uh, to become an FBI informant and an operative, you know, once leaving the military. Probably had no distinguished military career and said, well, I'm making a name for myself. I'm going to go work for the FBI as a, as a mercenary or whatever he was. You know, part of the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In. Excuse me. Um, and so this guy, the, so this whistleblower, is probably, you know, and whatever happened to Eric Chiramella, now that we're on the subject, the whistleblower during, uh, during Trump's time. And so uh, and it, you know, it's just a lot of things, all these loose ends. Anyway, and Susan Rice, too. Susan Rice, it turns out from a recent uh, news special I was watching, uh, it sent a memo. Uh, this is Justice Department, uh, what is it, Judicial Watch, had this report that um, – that Susan Rice apparently released some memo congratulating herself for responding to the Trump campaign on January 20th, 2017, when Trump took office. Oops. <laughs> you know, everybody got it. And apparently that memo was released, uh, or the email, you know, got into the public. I think Judicial Watch uh, released it. Uh, so what I didn't know was that Susan Rice was supposed to be vice president, you know, so that Obama could control uh, Brandon directly. Instead, she became you know, domestic policy chief, uh, and still controls Brandon directly. So it's, I guess it's a name only, but Susan Rice was supposed to be vice president. But when the memo came out that she'd spied on Trump and committed, you know, major, you know, felonies, uh, they switched it to Kamala Harris, uh, you know, the cackler in, in, in chief. <laughs> yeah, anyways, so all this stuff is going on. It's really kind of fascinating. Um, but the, to, just to throw something totally different in the mix, let's talk about Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. And so Bobby Kennedy, to his friends, uh, is is just throwing a monkey wrench in the Democrats. Why? Because he's an actual Democrat. Now, do I agree with him on everything? No. I'm sure we're going to have some green energy problems. I think he's still stuck in a lot of 80s environmentalism in terms of uh, acid rain, which I think is pretty much done away with, mostly because of the catalytic converter. So let me explain acid rain. So way back in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was a problem with uh, tailpipes spewing not only carbon dioxide and water, which are the major byproducts of of, uh, burning... uh, um, Organic fuels. Oh, I need to put uh, Dr. Patrick Moore. Let me put him on my schedule here. Things to talk about. This is fascinating, too. Patrick. It's going to be a busy morning. Patrick Moore. I'll explain about him in, in just uh, too many Ks and Patrick. There we go. Rather extensive notes that I do on every show, and I keep them. I've kept all my notes back from the beginning show. I've kept all my phone numbers of everybody that's called. And I'm actually really organized, even though I sound like a total scatterbrain on the radio, but it's not true up front. I'm, I'm actually fairly organized. All right. Except when I start talking. <laughs> so back to RFK. So Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. is the son of Robert Francis Kennedy, who was assassinated uh, in Los Angeles, uh, I think, shortly after declaring for president by Sirhan Sirhan. I hope I have my, my facts right. In other words, well, it's probably the same people that killed his brother. You know, CIA, LBJ, the, that contingent. The, basically, the permanent war class in the deep state. 
you know, and so uh, I, I just thank God the Trump, you know, survived. And, and we'll, you know, and as, as Josie said, he's got like, you know, a million bodyguards, you know, plus the Secret Service because Secret Service are government employees. So, you know, anybody who's a government employee is subject to being part of the deep state and being a traitor themselves. So hopefully they're from what I know, Secret Service people and I've talked to a few of them. They're pretty good. Pretty decent. Um, Marco just joined us from the Netherlands. Hey, Marco. How's it going out there? Uh, so we, we really have an international group here. We had uh, another person call in from Germany who is actually from Florida or, or type in. And so that's kind of cool as well. So we're, this show is truly international and is going to get more so. So why is RFK such a, such a, a problem for the, the modern Democrat? Because he, he's actually what a Democrat's supposed to be. You know, liberal social policies, uh, uh, environmental policies that I think need some modification, um, probably too big a spender, you know. Um, but traditional Democrats were actually pro-gun, and they have been for a long time because they're the ones that, you know, that uh, wanted to have guns in, in everybody's hands, and, and the Republicans originally wanted just, just the rich folks. Uh, <laughs> okay, Marco says he's running back and forth between computers. Yes, yeah, so you folks that listen to the podcast, you, you miss, you know, the, the dialogue that goes on on live chat. And so people are commenting on live chat as I'm talking uh, in real time, as they say, uh, although that time is different. Uh, I think in the Netherlands is probably, you know, four in the afternoon is it plus eight hours. So it'll be three in the afternoon. It'll be like three fifteen. It's about seven fifteen here, seven thirteen, if you want to be precise. Anyway, that's why I do my show notes in terms of hours of the show, because people are listening anytime, 24 seven, you know, who knows when. So RFK. So he said something, I think, yesterday or the day before that was really quite profound, that, that men should not be participating in women's sports. Uh-oh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, let's, let's sound the alarm, shall we, on that one. So he said something that Democrats can't say today, which is fascinating that he did. And this is why I find him um, so fascinating. So let me see if I can, uh, I can't find it. Where is it? This is, this is terrible when I'm trying to do something. It takes me too long to get there. So let's sound the alarm. Robert Francis Kennedy is a real Democrat. So he, he, he went against the woke agenda. Now, there's an article that I've got that I'll get to maybe tomorrow or the next day that talks about RFK being somebody absolutely fascinating uh, who does not follow the woke agenda, who basically speaks as a Democrat, you know, who says, yeah, we believe in rights and individual rights and civil rights and things like that. But there's no reason for, for men to be swimming in, on the women's swim team. You know, there's no reason for any of that. In fact, a friend of mine pointed out this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about trans uh, stuff in a bit. You know, we we uh, we neuter you know, pets and spay pets. But we, we, we don't say that a, a neutered cat, you know, changes its sex. It doesn't. Okay, so, so if we've done that for years and years, or my favorite expression for the GOP, the, the gelding old party. Well, you know what a gelding is, for those that don't, it's a, it's, it's a it's castrated horse. Okay, but it's, it's still a male horse. It's just missing, you know, some pretty essential male characteristics that provide testosterone. And so that's the whole, the, the whole point of, of geldings and castrados and eunuchs and, you know, the, the guards of the harems used to be castrated, you know, way back when 100,000, well, not 100,000, but like, you know, thousands of years, or maybe even hundreds of years. I'm not sure how long ago. How long ago we had harems? Anyway, whenever we had, you know, harems were big, they used to, they used to castrate the, the, the male guards of all the women because they didn't want the men, you know, <laughs> ruining the harem, shall we say. So this is a longstanding tradition. So a gelding is a very docile horse. Uh, just as uh, as a as a cat, male cat that has been neutered, you know, sits around and gets fat and doesn't chase female cats. <laughs> you know, you don't hear that. Wow. You know, outside your window all night. <laughs> it was a we know what's going on. All right. Anyway, so the point is, RFK is different. And so, uh, what's fascinating about RFK, and what I'm hoping will happen, 
uh, is that our, our dear friend of the show, Judy Mikevitz, and we've talked about this on the show. Again, not betraying any confidences. Um, and I'm really careful about that, too. That's why I keep saying it. But uh, I've, I've asked Judy to hopefully talk to uh, Robert Francis Kennedy, who wrote the foreword to her book. So they're friends, right? That if she could talk to him about uh, Bobby Kennedy endorsing our vaccine product liability bill, and then hopefully then our big tech censorship bill, those bills become part of the, the public arena. Uh, and then we get a lot busier here, which is good. I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, we need to get those bills out into the public. Another interesting thing that's happened, there's a couple of substacks that I post the bill on as well. Uh, Jessica Rose, whose article I went over Friday, and Amy Wolf, uh, who appears on, you know, Lindell TV all the time, especially Emerald Robinson, who I watch because I, she had me on, she, she had me on, she had me on her show. There we go. Get the right emphasis there. Uh, and so that was, that was really cool too, talking about vaccine product liability. So that's secure. So, you know, all these folks that are going from podcast to podcast to podcast, giving ever more detailed information, which is good information. But the thing is, they're, they're just giving information, you know, and that, that time has passed. That time passed two years ago. The time to give more information. I mean, it's nice to have. I mean, people send me videos of things I reported two years ago. Great. Or they have a, an extra lipid nanoparticle or they have a new definition of, of graphene oxide or they have a new iteration of something else. I don't care. I really don't. At this point, I don't care. Because the only thing that's going to solve this problem is vaccine product liability legislation and ending big tech censorship, both of which we wrote. Well, actually, I wrote those two two years ago. So anything that happens now that just concerns information is of no use to me whatsoever. So I don't care if you're, you're sending David Martin interviews or, or any of the other really wonderful. I mean, they're wonderful people. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not doing what needs to be done. <laughs> you know, and RFK, I'm hoping, will. Because Donald Trump's not doing it. You know, and I certainly know that uh, his folks have the information. I've had Christina Bob, his lawyer, on the show. I've had Peter Navarro, his senior advisor, on the show. Uh, I, I've talk, I went to Matt Gates' office and told them about it. And he knows Trump directly. He's on, they got, Trump has, uh, Matt Gates has Donald Trump on speed dial. I know that because he announced it at one of his rallies. He even pulled out his phone. <laughs> I can call him right now. <laughs> so we all said, do it. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, but the point is that there's no reason for Donald Trump not to know about our legislation because many people associated with him do. But they haven't come out. They haven't endorsed it. So where are you people? And that's a problem because this is the cure to everything that's going on with COVID. It always was the cure. Vaccine product, product liability is the single most important thing that has to be done. Now, I've changed my philosophy, and I, I announce this right now, that I used to be uh, much – during the Trump administration, I was much more action radio is going to be uh, a lobbying thing. It's going to be uh, you know an advocacy arm. We're going to write legislation. We're going to – you know, submit it to, you know, send it to various members of Congress and media. Hopefully the media will write about it and hopefully the members of Congress will consider it, put it in their hearings. Okay. That, that was back when we had uh, a real president Trump uh, when times were better and we had the luxury of, of pursuing this, you know, at, at, a, at a more, more gradual pace. We still have very important things to do. Like the citizenship question had to be asked on the census and it wasn't, you know, things like that were critical. The, the national debt was still huge. It was 20 trillion in those days. Now it's 32 trillion. Um, and, but, but the difference now is we don't have that kind of luxury. Uh, I'm not asking Congress to, to pass vaccine product liability legislation. I'm demanding to do it. And I'm demanding to do it, you know, yesterday. So we're going to get much more active, much more, much stronger here. Our positions are not going to be, you know, we're not going to be lobbying and advocating. We're going to be saying, you have to do this. We're not giving you a choice. Now, does that mean I'm going to carry this forward into force and violence and things like that? No, absolutely not. But what I am going to do, to see if I can rally literally millions of people across this country and across the world to do what has to be done, 
to take away the power of governments, to have we the people write the laws that we consent to be governed by and say to these elected officials, if you don't pass this, you're not going to be here. So things are going to get a lot stronger and a lot tougher around here because it has to be done. We have to have a constitutional amendment to stop Congress borrowing money. They are obsessed with spending money. They are sick. They are addicted to it. The Republicans just passed a bill where they actually cut spending, but they still raised the debt ceiling. Well, why the hell do you have to raise the debt ceiling if you can cut spending? Cutting spending means you don't have to raise the debt ceiling. So they just contradicted themselves. They're walking contradictions. They are obsessed, absolutely obsessed with spending money. And that has to stop. And the only way to stop these people that I can see is a constitutional amendment that removes the power of Congress to ever borrow money again. Oh, my Greg, my Greg, what about a war? What about a war? What? Like I said before, what, the Chinese launched nuclear missile at us? They're going to be here in half an hour? What, is Congress going to meet and borrow money? No, it's too late. So there's nothing that Congress can do. Uh, there's nothing that Congress cannot do if they lose the power to borrow money. Never said ahead in the first place. Jefferson never would have given it to him. Jefferson's my hero. Madison, Hamilton, you know, some of those other folks. Yeah, you're okay. But Madison's pretty good, too, because he did the Bill of Rights. But Hamilton? <laughs> Hamilton screwed us. That's why I'm an anti-federalist. Gee, Greg, what are you, Democrat or Republican? I'm an anti-federalist. All right, what's an anti-federalist? Do you guys read the Federalist Papers? Okay, the, the contrary to the Federalist Papers is the anti-federalist papers. And the more I read the anti-federalist papers, the more I realized I'm an anti-federalist. In other words, the Constitution's okay, but it's got some serious flaws, and it gives the government way too much power. So I think the Articles of Confederation, we got shortchanged. The Articles of Confederation could have been modified uh, a lot more. By the way, the Articles of Confederation had a Bill of Rights. Not specifically, but a lot of rights that became the Bill of Rights were included in the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution dumped them. How about that? It's not that the Constitution didn't include a Bill of Rights. They actually took rights out of the Articles of Confederation. And that's why the Constitution has problems, and that's why the, the anti-federalists came back and said, wait a minute, it took them 10 years to do it. Wait a minute, we need to uh, specify, we need to enumerate some rights that the government cannot touch on any, under any circumstances. They cannot touch these things. And yet they do. So anyway, we'll talk about that later. So they're basic problems. Anyway, back to JFK. So <laughs> the fun part about him, uh, the thing that makes it really cool, is that he's going to just stick to the Democrats. He's also going to force Trump to be a better candidate, too. I'll tell you why. Because now, do I expect him to win? No. Uh, I expect the Democrats to screw him over just like they did Bernie Sanders. I expect them to rig the election, and he will not be the nominee. However, he would be a fabulous secretary in the Trump administration for Health and Human Services. Put him in charge of the FDA. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Put him in charge of, of, of Fauci's you know, health Nazis at uh, the National Institute of Health and, and the Center for Direct Control, the CDC. Oh, did I misstate that? Oh, I'm sorry. What was I thinking? You know, so that's, that would be fascinating. And if he comes out and endorses our bill on product liability for, for vaccine manufacturers, uh, game changer, for, not only for Action Radio, but for the country and for the Congress, because they're dead set against it. You know, I know that because not a single member of Congress, not my own congressman, Matt Gates, not Ron Johnson, who I know has seen the bill. You know, he had to. Well, at least I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, I think he's seen it. Um, from, from what I hear, <laughs> I can't tell you what I hear uh, specifically, but uh, I'm not going to name names. But, yeah, he knows about it. He definitely knows about it. But he, he hasn't done anything. Certainly hasn't called the show or called me and said, hey, Greg, that's a really great idea. Oh, Senator Johnson, thank you so much. Are you going to sponsor it? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, okay, fine. All those conferences he held, all those wonderful doctors and lawyers and all those people that appeared before him, and I think three separate conferences on COVID, not once, not once did anybody mention Vaccine product liability legislation, not once. And yet we all know that's the cure. 
Why? Because vaccines exploded after uh, liability was taken away from them in 1986 by Ronald Reagan, who was not our best conservative president. Not Trump's far better president than Ronald Reagan ever was. So Ronnie, Ronnie did one thing really good. He went to the Berlin Wall. Uh, and he said, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. And then he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Brilliant. Absolutely marvelous. He said the right things, but he didn't do it. He signed several budgets that were completely out of balance. He did not sign the you know, conservative laws. And he signed the law. He should have vetoed it. Getting rid of vaccine product liability, you know, vaccine product liability. He should have vetoed that law. But he didn't. Big business. He got bought out or something happened. All right. <sighs> Patrick Moore. So in a couple more minutes, in probably the back half hour, I'll talk about uh, my main issue. And if I run out of time on that, I'll just come back to this. Dr. Pat Moore is the former head of Greenpeace. He is an actual scientist compared to the, the radical high school dropouts that are running Greenpeace now. His words, not mine. <laughs> Maybe there are dropouts, but they certainly don't know enough uh, to be true scientists. So Dr. Patrick Moore, I think he's Canadian. Anyway, he talked about how the, the Greenpeace um, stopped, and they're both the Rainbow Warrior. No, it's not LGBTQ, no. The Rainbow Warrior, that's a term that uh, I think the, one of the, uh, the Inuit nations uh, up in Alaska, uh, that's, that's code for their warrior that comes in to save the world during the dark times. And every, every religion has this. Every, every you know, you, you know, I mean, talk to uh, uh, Christians, they'll tell you that the end times are coming. I'm not convinced yet. I, I'm sort of, you know, God and I have, <laughs> you know, I, I ask for a certain independence from God in certain areas in Scripture. It's like, you know, let's see if this all makes sense. Fortunately, you know, as Wendy talks to us, it says that God says, come reason with me. So that's what I do. I do a lot of reasoning with God. Uh, we have long discussions. It's quite interesting. Um, and with you two right on the radio. All right. So let's get back to Patrick Moore. So Patrick Moore uh, did, with Greenpeace, basically stopped atmospheric nuclear testing and saved the whales. And, uh, fabulous. But they also knew when to quit. I was getting back to this earlier. So some good environmentalists, it's like a good sculptor. Michelangelo did two things really well. Amazing sculptures, and he knew when, he, he knew when to stop chiseling. It's done. The David. It's done. No, a little bit more here. A little, no, you're going to ruin it. It's done. It's like photo developers. Back when they developed their own pictures, they had to know when to stop developing. Otherwise, it'd be overexposed. I think that's how it works. Anyway, or overchemical. Whatever it is, they knew when to stop. So the whole secret of uh, is politics is the same thing. Know when to stop. So the environmentalists celebrating Earth Day based on a murderer, which is kind of interesting. See, I thought Barry Commoner had, was a, a major uh, person behind it. He was a college professor, economics professor, I think, at Berkeley. So Earth Day, uh, April 22nd, which is also Lenin's birthday. And that's not a coincidence, by the way, that, uh, April, that uh, Lenin's birthday, April 22nd, is the day they celebrate Earth Day because environmentalism and communism go hand in hand, as we know. Just look at the Green New Deal, which is basically the economic imprisonment deal. Anyway, so back to, um, back to Dr. Patrick Moore. So what he said in a video that I post on our action radio environmental action page and a couple of other places, he confirmed things that I hit upon by accident about four or five months ago. So I'm thinking to myself, hmm, Gregory Raystone, right? Gregory Raystone is the, uh, the head now of the coalition, the CO2 coalition. Well, Dr. Patrick Moore was head of it for a couple of years back 2019 and 2020. I believe. And so what he talked about that was absolutely fascinating to me, he says, we need more carbon dioxide. Well, Gregory Wrightstone told us that too. So I thought, hmm, I'm thinking to myself, isn't it interesting that the 1800s was one of the lowest periods of carbon dioxide got down to 180 parts per million in the atmosphere? Well, at 150 parts per million, the plants die and life is unrecoverable at that point. So we were only 30 parts per million away from, you know, planetary extinction. And so what's really fabulous about that, you want to talk about God saving the world? God saved the world. 
All right, I believe this is part of the intelligent design. Well, what happened in the 1800s? Well, the Industrial Revolution. Well, what powered the Industrial Revolution? Well, steam, uh, and then uh, steam engines, and then the internal combustion engine. What are the internal combustion engine and the steam engines run on? Organic fuels, wood, <laughs> coal, oil, eventually natural gas, and then later uranium you know, for nuclear power. Those are organic fuels that come from the earth. They are pure and clean and natural products. Well, how did it, well then he, what he, and I thought to myself, well, isn't that fascinating? That the one time in Earth's history when we need the most carbon dioxide back in the atmosphere, it used to, it's been anywhere up to 4,000 parts per million. So the Earth is used to a whole lot more carbon dioxide. The dinosaurs is somewhere between two and 4,000 parts per million when the dinosaurs were living. And the world was a lush and green place. And there were palm trees up in uh, the Arctic Circle. <laughs> Okay, uh, so this, this, we're in an interglacial period now, so it's very different. But what he confirmed was, well, let me get to the story. So I thought to myself, okay, well, this is really interesting. Um, so he said that, uh, um, that carbon dioxide is the basis of all life. And I thought, well, that's great. Well, we need, we, we, anyway, my revelation was that isn't it interesting that we're burning these organic fuels, which you call fossil fuels, most of you, uh, organic fuels that are putting carbon dioxide and water vapor back into the atmosphere. That's cool. <laughs> so the plants can breathe the carbon dioxide and the water and the H2O, the water vapor can make more clouds, will get more rain. Well, both of which are conducive to plant growth, which is conducive to human life. The more plants, the more lush green plants we have, whether it's the Amazon rainforest or, or you know, wheat in uh, Alberta, Canada, uh, it's good. It's a good thing. All right? A warmer earth is a good thing. So all these wacko you know, environmentalists that want a cold earth, they just want to kill us all. So between the bioweapons you know, crowd and the... Uh, uh, the frozen earth crowd or, or the, the baked earth crowd, <laughs> you know, they're, they're all trying to kill us. I mean, so uh, anyway, but they don't know when to quit. So environmentalists get a bit back to my thesis. They should have quit uh, back probably about 1985. You know, we had clean cars. We had the catalytic converters. We had coal scrubbers. We had uh, all these pollution controls and they're working fine. They still work fine. So shut up and go home and pick another cause. We don't need you anymore. We don't need an earth day anymore. In 1970, we did, but by 85, 90, we didn't. It was done. The water was clear, the air was, the water was clean, the air was clean, and life was good. So go home. It's like Michelangelo with the David. No one to stop chiseling. Are you going to mess it up? And that's what they're doing now. They're messing it up with solar power, wind power. They're killing the whales off the coast and uh, all kinds of other stuff's going on. Pretty bad. Anyway, um, so Patrick Moore, a real scientist, uh, filled in a gap for me. So I thought, isn't it fascinating? To me, it's intelligent design. So God came along, saved the earth and said, uh, and uh, somehow we got the Industrial Revolution going and the internal combustion engine. And again, all these fossil fuels were burned. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I spoke. Organic fuels were burned and all that CO2 and water vapor went up into the atmosphere. Well, once it's in the atmosphere, the, uh, the plants breathe it and then the plants eventually become petroleum, you know, oil, coal, natural gas, depending on heat, temperature, pressure, and things that happen under the earth. Uh, I'm not sure where uranium comes from. <laughs> You know, maybe the Earth makes that some other way. I'm not sure. That, that, I have to look that up. How is uranium created in the Earth? That would be fascinating. Because uh, if we can duplicate that process, I think fusion. I think that's what fusion does, duplicates the process of creating uranium, we're going to have unlimited power. Nuclear power is the way to go. It is the cleanest, best, and safest form of energy, contrary to popular belief. Uh, belief. So let me put here, how is uranium created? In the Earth, created first big question for today. In the Earth, probably back to you Wednesday <laughs> with that topic. All right. So what he said was that carbon dioxide is actually the basis of life on Earth. I'm like, well, that's interesting. See, what he did was he filled in a gap. So to me, 
the Industrial Revolution came along at a time when the whales were being killed for whale oil. I mean, that's what lit all those lamps in those old Western movies you see. It's whale oil, okay, 1800s. So then we come along, we get, I forgot who invented the steam engine, but I'll, I'll look that up. Maybe it was Faraday. He did more electric stuff. Uh, anyway, so, so steam engine, gasoline-powered engine, diesel engine, uh, all these different things, natural gas, oil, um, started powering our, our, our industry. Uh, we got nitrogen fertilizer for farms, uh, and all this one plastics, and all this incredible stuff comes from petroleum. Now, do they have problems with oil spills and things? Yep, sure do. <laughs> Double hull the tankers, make it safer. Don't use trains, use pipelines. Pipelines are safer than trains. We know that from East Palestine. Um, so there are ways to do it, but uh, for the most part, petroleum, you know, basically keeps the world going, and we've got like a 500-year supply. But you know, the way technology advances, we only need the 50-year supply. You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll have hydrogen fuel cells and and fusion reactors and all kinds of other things going here in the not too distant future. Probably not in my lifetime, but shortly thereafter. And so I'm not worried about it. Besides, I, I want a you know a, a big fat V8 engine. So the, at the end of the show Friday, uh, I'm ranting and raving that we better, um, you know, start burning as, as, as many organic fuel, as much organic fuel as possible to save the earth because it puts carbon dioxide into the air. So what, so what Patrick Moore said was so fascinating. This is why the video is so good. He said that the, the carbon dioxide is the basis of life on earth. We are a carbon-based life form. So all life starts as carbon dioxide. All petroleum starts as carbon dioxide. All plant life and therefore all human life and all animal life starts as carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is the building block of life on earth. And these idiots, these stupid morons, these environmental wacko, complete frauds, talk about reducing carbon dioxide. They might also just say, well, let's just start lining up people and shoot them. Let's just deforest the forest that we're trying to rebuild. Let's just burn everything. You know, and that's what they're doing by getting rid of carbon dioxide. The complete and total idiots. Wish I had them on the show, but that's the problem. So what he said was that it is essential for us to burn organic fuels to replace the carbon dioxide and get it above 180 parts per million. Two to 400 would be good. Minimum, two to 400 parts per million would be, would be pretty good. All right. Depending on the main topic, I won't get there. So over the weekend, uh, I made a post Friday afternoon, Sunday, Saturday morning. I'm not sure when, but it was, uh, it was fairly early in the weekend. And I, and I asked about, um, here's what I post. I put, this is literally what I post. I said, other than degree, what's the difference between trans surgery and drugs and cosmetic surgery and Botox? How does that make one a civil rights issue? Well, this created, uh, it wasn't quite a firestorm, but it was a lot of, of very interesting comments. And I post on my page, uh, on the legal action page, and I think on the action radio group page. So I post this in three places. Let me read it again. Other than degree, what is the difference between trans surgery and drugs and cosmetic surgery and Botox? In other words, what I'm doing is changing the debate. So instead of the debate being, you know, is this a civil rights issue where people you know, actually transform their sex uh, and therefore have an, a, a civil right to swim on a swim team that's different, uh, to, to go to different bathrooms, to, uh, you know, have all this stuff that goes on in schools, on the, the trans, you know, uh, indoctrination stuff. And special rights at work and special rights in society and special rights everywhere and talking about trans rights or human rights. That to me is a bunch of nonsense. It's not because the Constitution is really clear. You can't discriminate against people, but nobody can have special rights. So, the, so, a group, so, so it never made sense to me that people who have altered their body, chemically and surgically, then become part of the rights group. That's ridiculous, especially when it's all voluntary. It's all elective. And then I thought, so the connection I made later was, well, wait a minute. Isn't this like cosmetic surgery? And so I, I use this example of a boob job. 
<laughs> you'll pardon the expression, but it, it really illustrates the point. Okay. So if you're a woman, you know, and you want to, you want bigger, a bigger rack, you know, you get yourself a boob job. All right. By the way, don't do that. Cause we, we've done shows on breast implants. They're terribly dangerous. So don't do that. Uh, you know, just don't <laughs> you find an alternative, but don't do that. Anyway, but the but people do, and I, I'm not going to, I wouldn't ban it, but I just, I would advise you listen to our show from the women who have survived breast implants and trust me, you, you know, from the cancers and the, the horrible things that they had and just the, the leaking and everything else. No, you don't want to do it. So just go back, just uh, go to any of our broadcast shows, uh, go to the top window, put in action radio, comma, breast implants. And I guarantee you, you will never get one. Uh, and that goes for men who want to look like women. Yeah, d- don't do it. It's no, it's not worth it. Anyway, so what's it? So, so I thought to myself, okay, wait a minute. So, so you take your basic boob job, right? So a woman does it to feel better about herself. Well, a man does it to pretend he's a woman so he can feel better about himself. So the commonality here is people are doing things to feel better about themselves. Now, there might be a degree of difference between certain uh, cosmetic surgeries and, and certain, you know, trans surgeries. I don't even like the term trans surgery because it's not real because you're not changing your sex. So I don't know what we call it, we're altering surgeries. Or, or we, can put, we just label them both as cosmetic because they really are. You know, he said, well, cosmetics just on the surface. Oh, really? Tell me about liposuction. That's not cosmetic. That's under your skin. Way under. You know? And, and the other thing is, well, let me read the comments because the comments are really fascinating. So here's what I realized, though, and, and this is what made it so interesting. For all the, the, the imagined hate that the left's trying to, uh, you know, manufacture out of nothing, conservatives really were pretty consistent on, you know, actually were very consistent on this point, that if you are a consult, consenting adult and you have been fully informed of the effects, the side effects, you know, the dangerous effects, things like that, of both uh, surgery, uh, we're talking about trans surgery and drugs, um, that, uh, that's your choice. And we don't care <laughs> if you want to make that choice. That's okay. That's none of our business. You know, in conservatives, we're, we're universal. I didn't find anybody that was part of this conservatives, you know, said it's your choice. Now where they do the line with kids, you cannot touch the kids. You cannot touch anybody under 18. Absolutely no way. And that includes any indoctrination, you know, drag queen shows, any, none of that stuff. No, you've got to leave the kids alone. So conservatives were absolute on that, too, on a couple things. One, it's, if you're an adult, it's a personal choice. Uh, and two, uh, if you're a kid, nobody messes with you until you're an adult. And even then, you still have to be fully informed. So that was pretty universal. But the other universal was that this is not a civil right. Okay? Uh, the fact that you have altered your body uh, chemically and surgically does not make you a special group of people. It just means you've made a personal choice to alter yourself, which is fine. You can do that in America. But I found the whole thing fascinating. So what I want to do is I want to write a law. I'll probably talk to Jonathan and get some advice on this. Um, that says to the effect that trans surgery is cosmetic surgery. It is elective. It comes under the rules of elective. It's not to be paid for. So once something becomes cosmetic or elective, well, I just call it elective surgery. If it becomes elective, in other words, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. I mean, you may think, you know, you want this because you want to feel better, and that's okay, but it's not like it's a cancer tumor, okay? That is medically necessary to deal with, I mean, it's going to kill you. You know, having confusion about your sexual identity is not going to kill you. You may take your own life because you're confused, but the, but the, but the, 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 the confusion itself, it, you know, it's not like a, a disease. Um, anyway, it gets complicated. So, uh, and we've had trans folks on the show, and we're going to continue to do so. But the problem is, that I will, you cannot trans, you cannot transform your sex. You can't. And because you can't, we've got to stop pretending that you can't. 
And that's the big issue. So let me get you some of the comments. So I had uh, one of my comments was, and these are all over my Facebook page. I'm not going to mention the names. You know, if you want to take a look, you can, you can go there. And the only reason I do mention these comments is because th- these are public. Uh, when I post public, and if I did a post just friends only, I wouldn't tell you about this because it's for friends only. But because these are public posts, everybody knows that my public posts, you know, can end up on the show. So one person said, talking about uh, cosmetic surgery, you know, we compared like Botox, you know, to uh, hormones. And, says, and the comment was, both require informed consent. A proper informed consent needs to include both benefits and risks. This should be uh, a civil lawsuit issue when a detransitioner finds, they, finds out they weren't provided with all the risks prior to drugs and surgery. That was a fascinating point. Because someone, what if someone wants to reverse this? Well, you can't completely. I mean, I, I don't know if the drug, who is it, Chloe? Chloe, what's her last name? Chloe Cole. Um, is the woman who they tried to turn into a guy, which can't be done, but they, they, you know, they gave her surgery and drugs, and now she's trying to go back to uh, uh, the way she was, and you can't completely. Now she'll live her life as best she can, but there are permanent changes. I, I don't know if that was explained. I don't even know if she was 18. When I, I don't think she was even 18. So that should be illegal. It's illegal. Like big, in Arizona, I know it's illegal. Other state of Florida, it should be illegal. At least I hope so. But what's interesting is, you know, I mean, malpractice is when, uh, you know, something is done to you medically when you don't get all the information. So, so trans folks have a definite claim on medical malpractice if they, didn't, if they weren't fully informed. Just the same as people with a vaccine have a fraud case. Uh, even though there is no product liability, they, they should still be able to go back to the manufacturer and say, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me there was graphene oxide and lipid nanoparticles. You didn't tell me this was a, a gene-altering bioweapon. We thought it was a vaccine, because clearly it's not. So that was interesting. So then I had uh, some of the comment was, what the trans activists are requiring is special rights. Uh, they want to use bathrooms that aren't matching their sex. They want to have public displays on public property without the consent of the public. They want to, well, that's, that's an interesting issue when it comes to church celebrations at Christmas. Since they want to participate in women's sports primarily, uh, despite it being contradictory to Title IX. And that is true. You know, women's sports are for women. Not people who, who are trying to, uh, you know, claim they're women when they're men. You know, and that's pretty simple. And that's why Bobby Kennedy made such a revolutionary statement. So this is pretty common. So I, had a, I made a comment, too, along the way. I put, so now, if we change the argument from group civil rights to simply cosmetic surgery and drug use, then it is an entirely different argument. No hate, no oppression, and nothing for the woke mob to use against everyone else because we don't care what people choose to do for themselves. So let's take away their arguments and simply say, if you want cosmetic surgery or drugs, that's your choice. End of discussion. Now let's work on getting rid of all the political stuff and separate it from the elective surgery and drugs, which is a totally different question. So the whole point of, of, of changing this in law or including in the definition of elective surgery, cosmetic surgery, uh, trans surgery, and trans drugs, then it becomes a personal choice issue. And if people want it, like I say, they should be able to, to get this. I would advise against it. Um, because, but we have to make it really clear that you cannot change your sex. You cannot do that. So the premise that you can uh, is malpractice, is illegal, is lying, and it's fraud. And so anybody, that, any doctor that says they are should be up for malpractice uh, lawsuits. Another comment was people have not been paying attention to the piggyback of bills being sent through. You have individuals joining or marrying someone in the military in order to receive benefits. Therefore, citizen taxpayers are contributing to elective surgery because someone, because someone states they have gender dysphoria. In other words, gender dysphoria is, is mental confusion over which sex you are. 
And so th- this is a problem. So the military should not be paying for elective surgery. They shouldn't, but nobody should. Companies shouldn't be. It shouldn't be on health insurance plans any more than Botox or, or nose jobs. Okay. Now, uh, another argument too, another comment was adults can make the decision for either. Uh, and I have no issues. Also don't think taxpayers should foot the bill. I agree too. We talked about that. Then we talked about the whole idea of the difference between cosmetic surgery like Botox and nose jobs uh, and trans surgery and drugs. And one comment was the results are quite different. Cosmetic and Botox makes you what you used to be. Trans surgery and drugs makes you what you can never be. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but I, I disagreed, though. And let me see if I can have uh, – let me see what my comment was here. Better save it before I lose it. <laughs> I tend to do that, make sure I don't lose my show at the same time. My comment was cosmetic surgery changes who you are now but does not turn the clock back. Botox kills nerve cells that used to exist, so that, too, is not turning the clock back. It's an illusion. So is the illusion of changing your sex. But that's why I raised the issue. People are changing their bodies in both cases so they feel better about themselves. The real issue I'm raising is about whether one of those two qualities, uh, one of these two qualities qualifies, excuse me, as a civil right. Or are they both elective surgeries and drugs so people feel better about themselves? Uh, Whether they actually do is a whole other question. Uh, Some do and some don't. And that's why the suicide rate is so high for those that have been through uh, trans surgery and drugs. Because it didn't change your sex. And they're still the same person. Uh, they just have an altered body, chemically and surgically. And that's, that's, the, that's the real crime, is telling people they can change their sex when they can't. Now, if somebody wants to live as the opposite sex, that's fine. If they want a surgery that makes them look like the opposite sex, that's fine. But they're not changing their sex. And we need to make that clear to people. And so because you're not changing your sex, because there are men and women, uh, and because we have laws of equal protection of men and women, then there's no, there should be no special trans. You shouldn't be a civil rights group because you've had elective surgery or taken elective drugs that weren't medically necessary, but you did it because so you wanted to feel better. This is why I equated the whole idea of equating um, cosmetic surgery, you know, Botox and nose jobs um, with uh, trans surgery and uh, hormone drugs. What's the difference? Oh, there might be a difference of degree, but in some cases not. And this is pretty dramatic, you know, plastic surgeries. Um, some of them are, are very dramatic. Then my last comment, I wanted to put this out here because this, I think, um, the com- I'll give you the, the comment was, how do you define informed consent when the person in- insisting on having sex change surgery is actually suffering from a mental illness? Not being of sound mind, how can anyone requesting that surgery be of sound mind? That's an interesting question, but I, I leave that up to the individual. You know, defining sound mind, that, that, that'd be like uh, gun ownership. Well, we have... Uh, Mental health issues, we have to determine who's of sound mind before they can own guns. No, you can't. You know, the, the way that uh, the laws work is, you, you know, you do what you, you know, things are legal until you break the law, and then there is, you know, you've broken the law. But we don't, restrain, we don't restrain people ahead of time. We don't say you might drive drunk, therefore you can't get a driver's license. We don't say you might commit a crime with a gun. So that, well, actually, we do say that. Red flag laws say you might commit a crime with a gun, so we're going to take them ahead of time. You know, we, we might have a mental qualification test because you might commit a crime. Well, as soon as you hear the phrase, phrase you might commit a crime or we think you might commit a crime in the future or we have to restrain you from committing a crime, now you've broken the law. You've broken the Constitution. See, the whole point of a free society is you're not prosecuted until you do something illegal. Well, gee, Greg, people might be in danger. Well, that's why we carry guns, <laughs> you know, so we can protect ourselves and still live in a free society. 
the whole idea of gunnership, uh, one of the ideas is that you can protect yourself because we don't take people off the streets until they've committed a crime. Because you can't have a free society if you're locking people up in the gulag before they've done anything, just because politically you don't agree with them. So the benefits to the, million, the hundreds of millions, you know, compared to the crimes that will affect few, uh, you cannot equate the two. You cannot make millions of people lose their rights for what a few criminals are going to do because they're totally separate actions. And we've talked about that before, too. All right. So what I wrote, my last comment was, well, insisting that any surgery can change your sex is already, I put a delusion, but I should have said an illusion. I tend to write really fast and, and, and don't, pre- you know, don't always prove my writing. And I said, insisting that any surgery can change your sex is an illusion because that's impossible. Informed consent, this is back to the, the, my, my comment above uh, when a person asks, you know, what is informed consent? I think informed, informed consent means, means the side effects and the bad effects of a procedure or drug are known to you. You've been informed of them. You know, what is the worst that can happen? That's part of your informed consent. What is the worst that can happen and how often does it happen? That's part of informed consent. So you need to know the side effects, the bad effects, the lethal effects. And you need to know how often those things happen. That's informed consent to me. When you know those things, you know, you've got to know what can happen. You've got to know what, what, uh, what can't happen. You have to know what's possible. You have to know the risks. And that's informed consent. And once you give that, you're on your own. Although things should still be regulated and safe. <laughs> but that's another story. Then I said, just as it's not our job or responsibility to determine the motivations for, say, a boob job, whether it is cosmetic or to appear as the opposite sex, it's still a boob job. In other words, the physical, physical way that it's done are the same. It's still elective cosmetic surgery. Right? Then I said, so long as the physical consent is given, the mental component is up to the individual. So whether a man's doing it to, to uh, you know, act as a woman, which is okay, you, know, you can do it. Or a woman's doing it, you know, to, you know, feel better about herself. They're both doing it to feel better. That's okay. Totally different motivations, same operation. So it's still elective. It's still uh, um, cosmetic. So it should not be a civil right. It should be treated as that. So once this becomes individual, so the whole point of this, I think I've been getting to, and I'm still trying to formulate the bill in my head. It's going to take a while to uh, flesh it all out, as they say, which is kind of an interesting play on words for this particular topic. But the point is that, Trans, transitioning, <laughs> if I can use that word, from a group civil right to an individual choice is where we're going. That's the big part of this. From a group civil right to individual choices. Though there is no group. There is no trans group. It's just individuals making choices. Okay. That should be interesting. All right. Now here's what gets really interesting. <laughs> the last comment I made. I said my caveat would require, uh, would be to require in law that a black box label, like the Surgeon General, the Surgeon General has determined that smoking causes cancer and is dangerous to your health. Okay, that's a black box label. That a black box label warning be put on every cosmetic or body-altering surgery uh, or product where the Surgeon General says no surgical procedure nor drug therapy can change your sex. So this is, good. This is the big part of the bill. Think about that. If every hormone, if every surgery or surgery products, if every consent for any trans, you know, medical procedure, drug or things like that, had this warning that came with it, either on a consent form for surgery or on the drug itself, said no surgical procedure or drug therapy can change your sex. Or the Surgeon General has determined, let me put that in there, that, just a correction here, the 
course, this only happened under Trump. Surgeon, Surgeon has determined, I think I'm using the official language, that no surgical procedure nor drug therapy can change your sex. You guys like that? I mean, you know, see what Marco thinks about that in, in the Netherlands. Who else is on Pianchi? What do you guys think? Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. All right, let me give you, see if I can get a couple of articles before we. Oh, I know what I should do. <laughs> uh, I, I have more articles, articles on this another time. Uh, this is May Day. Happy May Day. May Day, May Day. You know, they, uh, that, that was, uh, that's one of those things that was determined easy to remember. That's why it became the international distress uh, signal. That's why SOS became uh, international distress too. You know, three dots, three dots, three dashes, three dots. Well, it's easy to remember. SOS. Everybody knows how to make an SOS. Well, that's Morse code from Samuel Morse. And the Morse, the Morse device on the telegraph wires basically opened and closed an electric circuit. When it was open for a long time, in other words, connected, you know, or, or it was closed, um, when, the, when the little uh, sending thing was pushed down and the electric connection was made, for a long time it was a dash. For a shorter time it was a dot. So you could tell dots from dashes. And that's how these did. So when the, you push the thing down, your little Morse code sending, you know, key, uh, you're closing an electric circuit and you're making a tone. So when you release it, you stop making the tone. Well, you can break those tones up into dots and dashes. That's Morse code. All Morse code does is connect and disconnects an electric circuit on a telegraph wire. But because he, he set those dots and dashes to letters and numbers, people can communicate. Well, the easiest combination is SOS. Three dots, three dashes, three dots. The things we come up with on this show. All right, Mayday. We've about seven minutes before Jonathan gets here, and we can revisit any of these topics, so feel free. Mayday, born in the USA. This is from the Communist Party USA. Yes, I actually have the Communist Party website right in front of me right now by Bruce Bostic, B-O-S-T-I-C, May 1st of 2016. So it's a little bit old. Communist Party, guys, you guys you're kind of slacking there. Was it your Trump was elected? 2016, where you been? Now let's quote Barry, uh, is it Barry Bostic? Bruce Bostic, Barry Bostic, I think an actor, <laughs> was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. A little different story. So Bruce Bostic says, May 1st is May Day, the international workers' holiday. In every nation on earth, working people demonstrate their unity. And I thought it was Labor Day. <laughs> unity and celebrate those who labor and produce all wealth. Not entirely true, <laughs> but that's why I put it on here. Uh, it's also a day to protest bad conditions for working people and fight for a better and more just world. Okay, well, didn't hear that on the news, did you? Then it says, however, most people in the United States don't know. May Day was born here as a day of remembrance of those leaders of the great eight-hour day movement began in Chicago in 1886. I didn't know that either. See, May Day to me is, uh, is the communist thing, right? Stalin's big on May Day. You know, Lenin big on May Day. Uh, everything's red. This is why the, the Republicans calling themselves red are absolute idiots. Red is the color of communism morons. Why do you think the, the, the red Chinese are called the red Chinese? They don't call the red Chinese because they're blue. They're called the red Chinese because red is the color of communism. You know, the red Russian, the Soviet, you know, the reds, the red scare. That's, that's associated with communism. So the smartest thing Clinton ever did, he was a genius at this too, was he, he changed the electoral maps, you know, during the, uh, the presidential elections. They used to color the states red and blue. Well, they alternated every presidential election. So, so one, you know, election, the Democrats were blue and the next one they were red. 
And it was fine. Well, Clinton said, wait a minute, I'm just going to make the Republicans red because I want them associated with communism and the Democrats associated with blue, which is like more patriotism than American. And yet they're still doing it. Russia, they're still red state. The Russians are still, I mean, the Americans are still calling themselves red, you know, red, red Republicans. You idiots, you stupid morons. Oh, God. Anyway. Back to the article. <laughs> However, most Americans in the 80s. Okay. So the eight-hour day is critical. So people don't realize that the, the Communist Party helped give you the eight-hour day, folks. The labor unions actually really did it. Labor unions gave us the eight-hour day. So anybody who uh, works an eight-hour day uh, should be grateful for the labor unions because people died on picket lines. Pinkertons, ex-World War I soldiers, mercenaries, corporate mercenaries shot and killed people who said we should have an eight-hour day, just to let you know. History is complicated. This is they were arrested at the Chicago in 1886 at the Haymarket, Haymarket Massacre. Then it says they were arrested, imprisoned, and later judicially murdered. I guess that would be cancel culture. May 1st is deeply rooted in our own history. It is our gift to the world's working class. This is from the American Communist Party, folks, just in case this doesn't sound like me talking normally. All right. Ever since May Day was declared an international workers' holiday in 1889, that's before the Communist Revolution of 1917, the capitalist class has desperately tried to suppress all memory of May Day. It was renamed Flag Day and Law Day, and on, Hay- and on Haymarket Square in Chicago, the site of murders of demonstrating workers in 1886 by Chicago police, a statue commemorating police officers, was erected. Well, the police are in a little different position now, aren't they, in <laughs> Chicago? Anyway, this is but 130 years later, working people all across the earth are continuing the fight and celebrating global labor solidarity. Oh, really? <laughs> Flag Day and Law Day are all but forgotten, and the police statue, which was vandalized repeatedly, was unceremoniously moved off the street to the Police Museum in Chicago. So much for May Day. And, and, and Chicago's a liberal town. I mean, they've got unions, huge unions. Anyway, this is, and May Day marches on, being reclaimed by workers in the country of its birth. In other words, they're trying, are they trying to tell us that communism was born here? Eh, I don't think so, but we'll see. Actually, was born in uh, Germany and Austria. Karl, Karl Marx was, uh, was German uh, in the Austrian School of Economics, the original. Uh, who was the other one? Hegel and some of the other folks. Anyway, then Lenin picked it up and moved it over to, to Russia. That's why the big fight in World War II was between uh, communism and Nazism. People don't realize that, that uh, the, the war, the, you know, you had leftist Russians fighting leftist Germans. German Nazis, national socialists fighting uh, Russian communists. That's why that's such a barbaric war, because you had the left fighting the left. People say, well, Hitler was a right-wing dictatorship. Oh, nonsense. By definition, that's impossible, any more than you can change your sex, to bring back my previous topic. You can't. You know? And leftists fighting leftists is very common. Look at uh, Charlottesville. Well, that was a right-wing violence, Greg. Unite the right. They were a leftist group. Get real. All right. Anyway. Back to this is kind of fun reading this stuff. Man, I should read more communist stuff on the air. It's kind of fun. In 2004, the Chicago Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO, which stands for the American Federation of Labor, the Congress of Industrial Organizations. Ooh, that was good. And Illinois Labor, Sec- Labor History Society erected a beautiful monument at the former Haymarket site commemorating the heroic and battle workers that demonstrated on that May afternoon in 1886 in the hope that the eight-hour day and better conditions for workers would come to be. And I agree with them. Uh, protesting for an eight-hour day compared to a 12-hour day, six days a week. Yeah, that was a good idea. Anyway, says a visitor will find the memorial surrounded with flowers and a growing number of plaques placed by the FLA-CIO. Wasn't it interesting that they honor that statue? They want that statue back, but they don't want statues of uh, 
General Lee. <laughs> don't any Confederate statues. Uh, don't even want the Confederate flag. Yet that's part of our history too. Good or bad, it's part of our history. You know, I happen to have my roommate Confederate flag uh, and a Betsy Ross 13 star flag on top of each other. Yin and yang. It's kind of interesting. By the way, the Confederacy was the Democrat Party, just in case anybody missed that one. Last one. Against great odds, unionists and worker folks, working folks across the USA are rediscovering and reclaiming the history of May Day and those who fought to win whatever rights we have today. Appropriately today, May 1st highlights the unity of the fight for workers' rights and immigrant rights. Oh, wait a minute. Those are two different things. First of all, immigrants don't have rights until they become official immigrants. So, so, so communists, you're losing me here, right? You know, people are, are, once they're immigrants, yeah, once they're immigrants, they have rights. I mean, real immigrants invited by the United States, you know, by certification, you know, that uh, have been granted permanent residency status. And then they have rights. Until then, no. People applying for status here don't have rights. Asylum seekers don't have rights until they're officially admitted to the United States. So Mayorkas, the, the, that pathologically lying you know, psychopath who's uh, running the Department of Homeland Security right now, basically the greeter, the international greeter, he's, he's turned his entire department into greeters at the border, says that, well, these people have to be processed. And once they declare you know, their request for asylum, they're admitted in. Well, no, that's not true. They're just doing it. It's not legal. You're not admitted in until you've been granted asylum status, not status, not just asked for it. You know, it's like everybody who asked to be an immigrant was suddenly, oh, okay, that's it. Well, you asked. You can come in. No. That's not how it works. Anyway, back to May Day. The legacy of May Day in, is aspiring, inspiring, excuse me, is inspiring new generations to fight for unity, the right to organize, health care for all, rights for foreign and native-born workers, peace and justice, and a sustainable world for all people. Oh boy, I gotta send this to Brianna. <laughs> see what she sees what Brianna thinks. Brianna's our uh, reporter, our, our young reporter actually for uh, Action Radio with the Government Inquiry Report. So let me think. So this is the problem with unions, folks. So union guys, you communist guys, here's where you lost it. The unions, when you were advocating worker rights and contracts and the ability to collectively bargain and organize, Americans didn't care. That was great because a lot of Americans had the jobs that needed organizing. If you work in the transportation field or even the, you know, from airline pilots to uh, even medical health professionals to all taxi drivers, you name it, a lot of folks need organizing because they get exploited on the job. How? Cheap foreign labor, um, you know, high taxes, competition, you know, all kinds of things. That, well, com- let me see how I can do the competition. In other words, they bring in um, – they suppress wages by bringing in uh, – you know, low wage, you know, illegal aliens to take jobs or they bring in, they overpopulate some area. Anyway, I, I should think about that and get a, get a better, you know, presentation for you. But let me get back to this. You know, the, the idea that the unions, when they were advocating um, for better contracts, I was a teamster for a while. So I, I know what I'm talking about when in terms of contracts, teamsters were great. The difference between the company I work for, actually a couple of them. Uh, the difference between the, uh, the, the workers who were unionized and the workers who were not was the difference between a minimum wage, no benefits, no protections on the job, no nothing, and a very temporary workforce that came and went. You know, they, they made their money and they left, as opposed to a union workforce. The company actually made more money with unions. If unions didn't work, there'd be no UPS. UPS is a completely unionized Teamster company, and, they, and they're making a fortune. Why? Because union workers usually stay in the job for a long time. Yes, they make more money. Um, but that's a good thing. That means the economy makes more money. And they usually keep the job. They raise families. They buy houses. They spend that money. And they do all kinds of good things. So the idea that unions are bad is absurd. 
Now, the political agenda is something different, and this is where the unions have lost it. Uh, the right to organize is good. Health care for all. Well, there's a good way to do that, and there's a bad way to do that. The, the bad way is to have the government in charge of it. Look at the COVID policies. Rights for foreign and native-born workers. No, foreign folks have no rights until they become official immigrants and get permanent status here. Until then, they're, they're tourists, guests, or eventually persona non grata. Peace and justice and a sustainable world for all peoples. That means we have to pay for the rest of the world. That's the Paris Accords and all that other nonsense. Anyway, Jonathan's on the line. So uh, let me get him on here. And we've got Pianchi on live chat. We've got um, uh, Marco in the Netherlands. And let's see what's going on. So uh, I've talked for a solid hour and a bit. <laughs> I'm done. Jonathan, good morning, sir. Did you get a chance to listen to any of this? I've been kind of on a roll this morning. Um, uh, well, I didn't. I just called in. So I got a chance to look at some of the stuff you uh-huh. sent me. But, but, but when you say this, I don't know. If that's um, you t- you're talking about the minimum wage bill? Well, no, I, um, not specifically. I was just talking about the fact that this is May Day. So my big topic of this hour um, was was the idea of of redefining trans surgery as cosmetic and elective, and taking and making it an individual choice, and taking away the idea that it's a group right or a civil right. That was the main thrust. And that was about well, but 10, but yeah, okay. And, and and the thing is, is that, you know, technically I'm supposed to Help, you know, help you out with the intersection of law and politics. But mm-hmm. um, thanks to a lot of people who have taught me, like um, John Quapitz um, <clears throat> and um, thing over the year, I've, you know, I've learned a lot about politics because I've had very generous friends and teachers. Um, but um, um, the, uh, you know, the, the thing about trance and trans surgery is, mm-hmm. is you know, people are going to die. Uh, and, and then, of course, they say it's for the children, mm-hmm. you know, because if I don't get my way, I'm going to, you know, hold my breath until I turn blue and die. So mm-hmm. everything, you know, everything with the left is, I mean, because they're basically spoiled brats is what they are. The left is just spoiled brats. I mean, if you want to understand, you know, American politics, actually worldwide politics, just think spoiled brats and you understand everything you need to understand about okay. uh, about the left so so the thing the thing of course the other thing that they're trying to say is is that is that um people are going to commit suicide yeah yeah right you know right now it's the coolest thing i mean it's just it's just ridiculous i mean they, they how many times are they going to sell us this it's like somebody comes to your door my grandfather made it through the great reset the, the great depression some part of the time by selling vacuum cleaners door to door and he did a very good professional job hmm. with Hoover. But you know, if you come to somebody's door and you say, buy my vacuum cleaner or you're going to die. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's a good um, line. Yeah. Well, but no, but that's, that's the left. Right. So if, if, if we don't let people, if we don't let children mutilate themselves, they're going to die. Um, and like, you know, and if you don't that. You yeah. care yeah, don't you care stuff. that children? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't you care that children are going to die? It's like, don't you don't you realize that we think you're full of it? Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to die. That you know, they're not going to die. You know, they're fine. They will. Um, you know, how many how many teenagers, especially you know, I don't know because guys are tight lipped. Um, you know, teenage girls have said, um, you know, I have to wear this to the to the dance. I'm going to die. 
Um, you know, but they don't die. They're fine. Didn't, didn't Molly Ringwald up. appear in that movie? <laughs> she just she yeah, died through the right. whole thing. Well, I mean, you know, right. if, but when you're a kid, I mean, the slightest emotional embarrassment, you think you're going to die. You don't. You know, I right, mean, the, that's the, part of... no one's ever died from confusion over their identity. They may take their own life, but the fact that they're confused will not kill people. Because all of us get confused right. at times. Anybody been depressed? I, mean, I have. And, <laughs> you know, the, it didn't thing, kill me. The thing that might make them commit suicide is mm-hmm. indoctrinating the fact that God made them wrong. Mm-hmm. They were born wrong. Yeah, They're bad. That's what they are. Yeah. Without the surgery, they're bad. That might, that might incite, incite them to commit suicide. Um, and frankly, we, you know, um, the, the hypocrisy is just like the lifeblood of the left. Um, because a while ago, when people say, said things on social media, that, you know, people were, I, I think some people were actually indicted, some, some uh, teenagers for cyberbullying, huh. you know, by insulting some people over the, inter- over the internet or over Facebook or back when it was FaceTime. But now telling kids that they're bad and unless they get mutilated, they're, they're, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be, they're really miserable and terrible. And then you don't give it to them. Yeah. Well, it's the fact that you told them they were bad and they were born wrong. You know, the, the, thing, that, the thing that they need is, to, is for adults to say, you're fine. You're okay. You're yeah. beautiful just the way you are. I never heard that. <laughs> part of my problem, but that, that was a personal challenge in my family. They they weren't good at that kind of stuff. But for the most part, that helps most kids out. You know, I certainly yeah. told my kid that. You know, because uh, you know, it's for those that come from dysfunctional families. Let me tell you right now, you can make a choice to uh, to be the parent that you should have had. You know, to your own kids, uh, or not. You but, can choose to continue no. abuse, or you can choose to uh, you know do a better job. And I chose to do a better job. So yeah. Right. So telling 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 uh uh, telling minors to teenagers that God born them wrong, you know, is, is monstrous. I mean, it, well, it's, it, it, it's reprehensible. Yeah. I, I got a call from Robert Malone. I was going to go over this at some point. And, and Robert Malone was on the show maybe a couple, four or six weeks ago. But he wrote this, this uh, uh, substack where I write now too, Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria, called ROGD. And in this, this uh, second paragraph, he says, in 2018, Psychology Today, uh, I'm sure you're, I bet you've got some comments on Psychology Today, Jonathan. Uh, anyway, it says he published an article. What was that? No, go Okay, yeah. Anyway, he says, Psychology Today published an article summarizing trans research and what was happening in the culture that is truly shocking. He says, that is, a large minority of kids, this is just what you were talking about, a large minority of kids have developed a belief system whereby they, as a group, espouse that being a normal biological female or male is akin to being immoral and evil. This bizarre concept has spread across social media and has infiltrated even down to elementary schools. This is a set of cultural beliefs which have morphed from groupthink and rebellion on social media to going viral throughout an age cohort which is vulnerable to new concepts being permanently instilled into their mindsets. In other words, they believe it because they're told to believe it. That's what it sounds like to me. And that's the problem. They're being told right. the wrong stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but, but the thing is, since it is May Day, this is, um, um, so, so May Day, this is the day when I'm supposed to make things up. Like I got, uh, I got, um, 
drafted into the NFL today? Or no, that's April, that's April um, 1st. That's April Fool's Day. Oh, yeah, I always <laughs> screw that up. Um, so um, so um, anyway, so, you know, this is the international la- – what, what is it technically speaking? What is the technical Workers name? Workers of the World the, Unite. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's May Day. Well, yeah, that's the slogan, but it's the international laborers or something like that. Because, because oh. what you have, it, it, it's amount, I should check what the technical word is. Um, mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, it's basically just communism. And what, you know, what you have to understand about, about communism in the left is that they are a virus. They are the invasion of the body snatchers. Mm-hmm. And because it makes it hard Literally to understand. Literally now. <laughs> how can so many churches... Mm-hmm. When we used to, you know, trust them, how can the FBI be so thoroughly corrupt? How, and I've said this before, but I think we need to really understand this. We need to keep applying it. That okay. you know, how can the court be be corrupt and <clears throat> biased and, and evil? How, how can you know, how can the police? How can pretty much everything that we used to believe are the things about society are are actually now? you know, part of the problem. And, you know, I, I submit that this is not accidental. This is, this is, this is the plan of the left. Mm-hmm. They, you know, if they, any institution that has influence, they have to take it over. So they, yeah, you, they have a long. You broke up in a couple of places, but I, I got the basic meaning, but yeah, that, that's, that, that's what's been going on is that anything that we all consider good and wholesome and wonderful, uh, you know, God, family and country, they have to destroy. And this was, this came out, where did I hear this? Uh, oh yeah. When they talked about uh, the real definition of critical thinking. So the real definition of critical thinking, according to the left is not skills that are critical so that you can think real critical thinking is where you learn to criticize everything. God, country, family, uh-huh. you know, and everything like that. So, so, so they criticize everything. In other words, that uh, you know, they say t- they say that there are you know 15 genders, uh, which is impossible, you know, or they'll say things that are totally untrue, uh, and this is what they do. But they're, they're, this is part of critical thinking skills is to teach kids that everything they believe is wrong, and uh, you can be whatever you want, and you can be your own god, and you can change your sex, and you can, uh, you know, you're you're a special civil rights person. Everybody's evil until they do these certain things. That's critical thinking skills. So this stuff's been going on for a while, as you said, and that's the problem. And the terminology, although it started out in German, <clears throat> Germany and Austria, both German language, um, that, uh, you know, the terminology does come from the very beginnings of communism. Mm-hmm. And remember, like, we have to also understand the history here a bit. You know, it started with, it started with, with Karl Marx and his faculty lounge um, you know, cigar smoking buddies. Well, and, where did he come from? Um, do, do you know about Karl Marx? I mean, I've never really studied his life. Where, where was he a college professor? Well, I know like that he all these sort other of, radicals, or what? I know that his influence. Yeah, I mean, I know that his influence sort of um, spanned both Germany and Austria. I think he was born right. in Austria. Okay. Um, but his buddies were, you know, his he sort of shuttled back and forth because it was. Um, considered one, especially by a certain painter. Um, but the, um, so, so uh, let's, let's check. Where was Karl Marx born? Um, so the thing is, is that he was born in, well, see, this is the problem. Is Germany among almost more than anything else 
mm-hmm. has changed geography and names so many times. It's mm-hmm. confusing. So if he was born in Prussia, what the heck is Prussia? Well, because, I mean, that part of Europe, it's like at one point, King, you know, the kingdom of Poland was huge and invaded Russia and Ukraine. Um, the, right. the kingdom of Sweden, believe it or not, was huge. Yeah. And so all these different territories keep changing names and changing shapes and changing alliances over the centuries. So basically he was born in Austria, but it was Trier, Prussia. Um, and so um, anyway, so, uh, so the thing is, is that, so today is the international, it's the correct word, the International Workers' Party. Why? You know, what, what is, why do we need it? Because, because the purpose of communism is to co-opt everything. It's like, they, it's like, like they can't, they, they can't win unless they fool people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it started off as, as workers, and then I was reading just from the, the Communist Party USA thing that it's branched out into sustainable, you know, environmentalism and, uh, you know, equal rights for all and national health care or worldwide health care and all that stuff. When they were just doing, and I like to say, I was a Teamster, you know, and when the Teamsters did the basic stuff of getting a good contract, I was all in favor of it. You know, as soon as they started talking right. about contributing to the Democratic Party and all this other stuff, I said, no. Right, but this is where this is where I'm tr- what I'm trying to help people think in terms of. It's like, <clears throat> are good, are better wages good? Well, of course. You know, are better working conditions good? Of course. The but the issue is, is that once once there's a parade, the communists have to run out in front of the parade and say it's our parade. Yeah. And that's how they exist. They're like a virus. They invade healthy cells. So you have you have um, you know you a union that you might admire and think is good. And, and then, and then suddenly it starts doing all these crazy things. You say, what the hell happened? The hmm. virus invaded and took over. And I don't know why, I don't know why we, well, I mean, the, the, this is the other reason why I want to point it out is first, first of all, how do we criticize what used to be good institutions? Because they have been co-opted and um, they, uh, you know, teachers, a hundred years ago, would be admired parts of society. Today, they're evil advocates for perversion and pedophilia and and Plus, they you are. know, anti- <laughs> you know yeah. and the unions start off pretty good too. We've talked about this, for those who don't know, we do a Labor Day special. I'm going to do it again. We talk about labor history in this country, and there was a time when we had company towns where, worse than slavery, workers actually were in debt for work. And they had that debt chased them for their whole life. And they were killed on the job and they didn't care. Where, you know, whereas like a slave was, was an investment in property, which is still horrible. I'm not, I'm not you know, condoning this. But I'm saying that uh, the workers who worked in the company towns were, were killed because there's always somebody else who could take their place. So they were expendable. You know? And so we had uh, the Pinkertons used to uh, assassinate people who protested, you know, fighting for the eight-hour day and for lunch and for you know, worker safety and, and contracts and reasonable working conditions. I agree with all that. Because there were some pretty horrible conditions. Child you mean you agree, all with that, you, you agree with fighting all that? Fighting it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, unless I broke up there in a second. Yeah. In other words, but the unions were doing a good thing. 
and the fact that people organize because they couldn't do it on their own. And as I've always contended that, uh, you know, this, this liberty of contract, one of, the, one of the bogus ideas of the Supreme Court, that the individual employee bargains equally with the employer, the management person, and they, they agree upon, a, you know, a, a wage of three cents a day. <laughs> you know, no, that's not true. No, the workers take what's offered to them or not. And management bargains collectively. I've always said that. And this is why a union should bargain collectively too. A union representing an employee is no different than, manage, than a company representing a manager. And that's why a manager with a company behind them is not equal when bargaining with an individual looking for a job. So the whole liberty of contracting went out the window. So the unions, when they were doing that, when they were going for collective bargaining and being able to uh, be certified and uh, you know, those kind of things, you know, that was fine as long as they were private. The minute they became government unions, they, they lost it completely. Um, but, uh, and then, in fact, I think Trump should revoke Kennedy's. The only reason we have federal unions, I discovered this a couple months ago, the only reason we have federal worker unions is because John Kennedy signed an executive order. Well, Trump could get rid of all federal unions by revoking that order. That's kind of interesting. Anyway, but the point is unions, when they do the right things to improve worker conditions and, and bargain collectively on behalf of employees and workers, that's great. That's free association. That's America. That's, that's, you know, advocating a better position for yourself. That's contracting and free assembly. No problem. Now, when they cross that line and get into all this other nonsense, then they become political. In that case, we, we should be able to battle them on a political basis. But they shouldn't, get, they shouldn't be in a position to use, you know, collective bargaining uh, as a way to advance a political agenda by getting money from politicians in exchange for votes. That's where the system gets corrupted. Well, right, but, but when, you, when you see people, you know, when they see a movement that's starting to attack, it's like, for example, you know, mm-hmm. next Monday, I'm just making this up, you know, let's say is, is International uh, Redheads Day. <laughs> because if, if you're a redhead, we're, we on the left are fighting for you. So all redheads, and I mean, you know, pretty much all have to have to uh, support the Democrat Party because um, only red, only the Democratic Party is is um, standing up for the redhead. And um, why? Because how do we know? Because they told us so. <laughs> and you know, so it's like all all veterinarians must be Democrat, and of course they will attack you if you're not. So if there's a Clarence Thomas, who's not, you know, who's black, but he's not a Democrat, Mm -hmm. um, then he must be attacked and destroyed. Yeah, you said something on that. What's what's going on with Clarence Thomas? Uh, Well, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. We'll get to that in a minute. Is high-tech lynching again? So, yeah, yeah, so he's got, so they've got... um, so anyway, so they, they want to co-opt everything and say, well, you know, they want to create the myth that, you know, if you're a bricklayer, you have to be a Democrat. You know, if you're a dentist, you have to be a Democrat. And if you, uh, so today is the International Workers Day. So that, you know, trying to say that if you're, if you're a worker, you have to be a communist or eventually a Democrat. And, you know, why? Well, just because I said so. And they spread these myths and these PR campaigns because mm-hmm. otherwise they could never win. No one would ever. Um, but but they exploit the idea like, you know, well, I'm a I'm a chiropractor and all us chiropractors are 
supporting Demo- Democrats. So I guess I'm supporting Democrats too. Hmm. So they've got all these, um, my boss, John Pop is talking about, they've got all these front groups that start out as just letterhead. They'll get like five, you know, dentists. And they'll say, you know, dentists for, uh, for whatever, for equality or the Democrats for, uh, or, or dentists for, for Democrats or what have you. Um, and try to create this impression that, you know, this is all Democrat, all, all dentists are, uh, you know, have to be Democrat. And so that's why we get a good concept. What's wrong with a day for, for celebrating workers? Well, I mean, it's, you know, we got Labor Day. Well, we got Labor Day. This is, this is the same thing. Well, we have two days to celebrate workers. What's the point? Well, that's true. But we have to um, have Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And <laughs> if you talk about Labor Day, we've got Mother's Day, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, so, um, Different kind of labor. The, uh, you, you didn't get it. Yeah, wrong kind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's lost in translation. So, um, so anyway, um, so, yeah, so we've got the International Workers. Now, Today is also, I am proclaiming today, as I, as I told you, also um, in National FBI Agents Take a Walk Up the Hill Day. Mm. You know, walk up oh, the hill. That one. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, walk, taking a walk up the hill is sort of a jargon, and it's, in, it's included in clear and present danger. It means to go up, and talk, go up and spill the beans to a congressional committee. Because all these oh. agencies, all, all these agencies are at most a 30-minute walk, you know, some of them 10. You know, so an FBI agent, if you're an FBI agent listening to this, you can take off for lunch, walk up the hill, mm-hmm. and be back before your lunch hour is over and set up an appointment to uh, – to expose all the all the fraud and corruption and unconstitutional behavior and illegal behavior of the FBI leadership. Um, yeah, you'd be a guest so on the show is, too. <laughs> That'd be good. Could, we'll well, they on. might not want to, but they, they could. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah. so, um, so today is National Take a Walk Up the Hill Day, Capitol Hill. <laughs> um, well, what are the ongoing investigations? It's not, a, what it's not an the, exercise day. Mm, um, well, Capitol Hill is at least it's a Capitol to get their aerobics. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can do both and um, probably get the heart pounding. So, you know, if you look in the mirror and you say it's like in the movie Flight, there's this wonderful scene where Denzel Washington is as a pilot um, who has been lying to cover up his alcoholism. He's a great hero. It's a wonderful Mm -hmm. movie. Like, 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 Like Clear and Present Danger, it's two movies back to back, really. One is about this heroism. The other is about how he um, tries to cover up his alcoholism. Um, and so he's talking to other inmates when he gets caught. I have spoilers here, but it's not. It's still a great movie. Um, and he um, he says it's like I had used up my lifetime limit of lies. Um, I could not tell one more lie. Huh. He, had, he, had, he, had, he had used up all of his he had used up all of his um, um, all of his lies but I, the um, I, I don't think I can so, so um, well we uh, 
you know, it's, it's amazing how many liars there are. You know, they talk about sources and methods, and uh, you know, this is an ongoing investigation, which is code for I don't want to tell you, <laughs> or or that my theory that um, when they when they're asked the questions, you know, how many uh, FBI informants or mercenaries or Antifa or Black Lives Matter people were involved, uh, they say I can't answer that question. Well, what Ted Cruz and the others should say is, of course you can answer that question. You have to answer that question. We have oversight power over you. We're your boss. You better answer the question. You're going to be in consent of Congress. And you're going to be out on your, you know, you're going to lose your job. Uh, and worse, probably prosecuted, hopefully end up with a massive jail term. That's what they should say, but they don't. But I know why they don't do it. I'm talking about a conspiracy of, 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 of silence here. Right. If they say... If they say, uh, yes, there were operatives, then they're guilty of treason. If they say, no, there weren't operatives, then they're guilty of perjury because they know they're worth. So they have to say, I can't answer the question. So there's, so there's, right. there's part of your, your walk-up day, walk-up Capitol Hill day. Take a walk and tell the truth. And they should get immunity. Yeah. And so, yeah. Now, how would, the, how would immunity work in this case? You know, should they be given immunity to say, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of operatives. Yeah, we can tell you Ray Epps. Oh, he's just a – Well, just, Congress, let me tell you who's, Congress you know, can yeah. give – um, okay. Congress can give um, uh, congressional use immunity, um, but but they can't necessarily give the DOJ immunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that from from government prosecution. Um, and uh, um, so that's what happened with Oliver North. Is that um, the the Congress is in a hurry to try to attack Ronald Reagan. So they had to have hearings about Oliver North. Oliver North was probably the greatest witness ever. My brother describes how in Miami, Florida, um, that, you know, people, if people called in, you know, if, if the news media said something, the radio said something, and they hear about Oliver North, the, um, the, the callers would just swamp the phone lines <laughs> in support of Oliver North. And so the whole thing blew up against the Democrats. And then they tried to prosecute him, and they couldn't because um, they had given him uh, use immunity. Oh, okay. Uh, using his testimony. Yeah, but so, the problem was he was a criminal. Uh, and that's what <laughs> he was. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, he was taking money from sales of Iranian arms and shipping it to the Nicaraguan Contras. That's illegal. <laughs> but well, they came up- it, it, it would have been... It would have been legal with Reagan's permission, oh. and Nancy Reagan was too much of a coward and, and everything like that to let him hmm. uh, let him admit it that he w- that he authorized it. No, that was stupid. Uh, but anyway, so so the thing is, is that so yeah, they could do that. So so where else are we here? So um, we talked last week about you know the attack on on Supreme Court justices, and right. including Clarence Thomas. And um, how they must destroy him. And they're now getting increasingly, because again, if you want to understand the, the, the left, which is now synonymous with the Democrats, um, they've taken over the Democrat Party. I mean, for example, you know, Scoop Jans, Jackson, John F. Kennedy, you know, they would not fit within today's Democrat Party. The squad would never tolerate them. You know, John F. Kennedy, for all his imperfections, was a patriot. Who, who loved the country and and fought communism. He um, we fought World War Two. You know, he was combat vet. He his PT boat blown up. <laughs> you know, he's uh-huh. got a he's got some incredible stories. But yeah, exactly. He he was you know, and this is what I was saying. I have no problem with. And we, I want to talk about RFK Jr. in a bit too, because what's happening with him is absolutely fascinating. Um, besides the fact that uh, you know 
Dr. Judy Mikovits, who's a friend of the show, knows him personally um, because he, for, he wrote the forward to her book. They've worked together. They've known each other for years. So I'm hoping that he will endorse uh, our vaccine product liability legislation. Details forthcoming as soon as I have them, but uh, I don't have any yet. But, uh, it, it, but John Kennedy, I always I consider one of our greatest presidents. Many ways, more than Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was a great president. No, he wasn't. He did some really bad things and some awful stuff, and uh, and and was you know he was establishment. He talked a good game, but he didn't actually put through a lot of the good stuff he should have. And he brought about you know vaccine product liability <clears throat> elimination. Excuse me, sorry there. Right. But he got rid of the vaccine product liability legislation, <laughs> uh, which is crazy. Anyway, so but John Kennedy got us to the moon. You know, some people seem to be disagreeing with that. There's this whole theory out there. We never actually went to the moon, which is pretty funny. We should, and we should talk about these are the, like the American sovereignty folks that. Uh, they well, that would be a, that would be a whole other. I mean. Oh yeah, we'll do that. I, I don't day. know if I can get my five minute version, but that would probably be a huge. <laughs> I mean, I was, was I, I was president. in the. Yeah. I was in the Bahamas with my family, my dad. Um, way because mm-hmm. the Bahamas stretches over 700 miles, and when we grew up in Florida. You know, for those around the country who don't get to go to the Bahamas, they might think, oh, that's hoity-toity. Uh, but um, when you live in when you live in in Florida, that's just mm-hmm. like going to the beach to go to, to the Bahamas. But but we had we had a a boat and we were like way 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 down out of civilization, hundreds of miles from the park, and we saw Apollo 17 going overhead. Mm. You know, so so it was hundreds of miles away from Cape Kennedy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and we watched it. We watched it going overhead. Um, not not just some effect right at right at the launch pad, but but hundreds of miles downrange. We watched it going mm-hmm. going over, going through the sky above us. Well, the and, moon rocks. You know, so I've, I've, how, how do you explain the moon rocks? Because <laughs> they, they don't occur on Earth. Well, I don't know. They could just. I mean, okay, don't don't dare me to explain things that that could get me. I mean, I. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like what, what's the most likely scenario? But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just I just caught myself jumping into like, well, let me find uh, let me find an explanation mode. Uh, but um, but anyway, so 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 yeah. But the thing is, is that um, so the Supreme Court they want to. Um, um, well, there's something you said earlier. I forgot. I didn't. I I, 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 I wanted to respond to it. And I forget. But anyway, so so they, the the Democrats want to expand the um, Supreme Court because again, if you want to understand the Democrats, which are the leftists at this point, um, you have to think about spoiled children. So the function of the Supreme Court is to say no. You know, it's like, no, you can't have ice cream. You know, no, you can't steal your neighbor's property and give it to whom, whom you like. Like, no, you can't do that. So that doesn't go over well with, with spoiled, uh, you know, with the spoiled emotional child that, it, that are leftists and Democrats. So mm-hmm. they have to, and they now realize that, this, that the, uh, although they're wrong, because actually the, the American people awakening is the biggest um is the biggest um, um, obstacle to um, is the biggest obstacle to uh, uh, to their agenda, but they think the Supreme Court is going to stop them, which it is. And um, um, 
so uh, so anyway, so they're trying to stop. They're they're trying to, of course, they're trying to attack uh, Clarence Thomas because he went on vacations with his friends, and um, and they're they're trying to say that I think, oh, who was who was the other justice? Maybe Alito. He sold a uh, a house to someone who's rich, um, and they're trying to say that these are these are ethics violations and stuff. And um, well, obviously they can get them on well, sex violations. <laughs> you know, Usually they do. They, like the Roy Moore's and the Trump and the Matt Gates, our own folks here. They, they if they can't get them on a, on a sex charge or a Jim Jordan, you know, I guess this is this is like the second tier. Oh, they're they're corrupt. I guess the, 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 right. these well, old guys with their impeccable records and long term marriages wouldn't look good. You, know, you can't go after them for you know being a Girl Scout, you know, out for a date or something. You know, it's probably a bad example, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Well, and, making and, up stuff. Mm-hmm. They can't make up a scandal on these people. So they go for a different one. Well, they can't make up a sex scandal. So they go for uh, an ethics scandal. It's like like a. It's not as good, effective as making up a sex scandal, but it's all they can do with these old guys on the Supreme Court, I guess. Does that make sense? The uh, um, um, so I just have an email. Sorry, just uh, I got distracted. So the thing is, oh, that's that, okay. is that they're they're trying to they're trying to drum him out on an ethics violation. And we talked a little bit last week because I knew it's like it's a consequential thing, and it's what the left is going to do. And the and the um um. You know, the, you know, AOC is attacking Tucker Carlson and everything like that because literally everything on Fox News is incitement to violence, according to her. I'm quoting her almost word for word. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, every time I hear the word Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I, I'm <laughs> frightened and I don't feel safe. And uh, I have a right to feel safe, right? I mean, I, I have a right to be safe. I'm saying I have a right to feel safe, even if it's an unreasonable thing. No, you don't. You know, um, feelings can never be rights go. because you can feel anything you want. No government can restrict your feelings. So the whole exactly. definition of rights so, is rights are things that governments can restrict. So the idea that right. your feelings are stronger than somebody else's rights that the government can restrict is absurd. Right. So, um, but it's how I feel. So uh, what are you going to, mm-hmm. so um, yeah. the, um, it's like, so, you know, so we talked, you talked about trans earlier. So someone, you know, someone bor- born Sam, um, you know, feels like a Gertrude. And you're like, okay, well, that's nice, but I don't mm-hmm. think you're a Gertrude. And so you can feel it all you want, but I'm going to call you, uh, I'm going to call you Sam. Um, and um, so anyway, so they're, they're trying to get rid of Clarence Thomas. And, and since we covered it last week, mm-hmm. all nine members of the Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court co-signed a response. They tried to get they, they tried to get um, John Roberts to testify before the Senate. You know, the, gov- the, the Democrats control or almost control the Senate. Mm-hmm. And, and so they, they wanted to demand John Roberts go up there and be a cardboard cutout, while, you know, uh, uh, so, uh, a prop for them to, you know, to defame Clarence Thomas and Alito and, and everything like this, and they've, they're introducing legislation to enact an ethics <coughs> code for the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that the Supreme Court is a co-equal branch of government. So um, 
for right or wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, everything in the Constitution that our frame, frame, framers came up with is a compromise. It's like saying, well, no, this isn't perfect, but it's, it's better than the alternative. So, you know, should, there, should, should we have an ethical Supreme Court? Well, of course. But do we want lying, money-grubbing, um, you know, Democrats in, co- in Congress dictating terms to the Supreme Court? No, we don't want that either. So the Supreme Court is a co-equal, independent branch of government. Um, the, con- the, the Constitution allows Congress to pass laws governing the procedures for the inferior courts, but not for the Supreme Court. And so they're trying to, they're trying to legislate uh, things about the Supreme Court. And so uh, Judge, Judge Roberts wrote back and said, no, I'm not going to testify before it would be entirely inappropriate because I'm supposed to, you know, we're supposed to sit in, in judgment of these things. Um, and so I'm not going to come up and testify to Congress. Sorry. And, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. And, and then they had a statement on ethics where all nine justices explained why the Supreme Court cannot be subject to legislation passed by Congress. And it's well, it's, the subject you know, of the but, Constitution, but, though. I mean, the subject, the subject of the limitation of the Constitution, right. they, they've exceeded that ever since Marbury versus Madison. Um, but I right. want to point out, uh, but there are checks on the. So let me ask you this: What are the checks on the Supreme Court from the executive and the legislative? Then the the it's the checks are supposed to be um, if. I mean, many decisions by the Supreme Court are actually an interpretation or application of, of statute, not the Constitution. <clears throat> so one check is, some, is Congress could just rewrite the statute. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Supreme Court, as it often does, says, we don't know what the heck you're saying here. This is a crappily written statute. Yep. The Congress could just go back and fix it. Or if it's a constitutional thing and the country thinks it's so bad, the, the, the country can pass an amendment to the Constitution. See, this is, this is where I challenge it, though, because I heard this during uh, um, Kavanaugh's hearing. If you ever see my video on the seven greatest moments of the Kavanaugh hearing, where actually Lindsey Graham is good. He's brilliant. He's talking about Roe v. Wade. But they both came to this conclusion, and even I got a Matt Gates recording that said the same thing, that it takes a constitutional amendment to change a constitutional decision of the Supreme Court. That is insane. <laughs> That's crazy. All it takes is legislation. You know, in fact, this well, it is, depends. It it, uh, it, it depends. Uh huh. I mean, the, well, there if Congress are changes the law, or if Congress, what what if Congress declares the Supreme Court decision illegal, and the president signs it, wouldn't that overturn well, the decision yeah, of the Supreme Court? They could they they could say I'm not going to f- obey it, and the Supreme Court has written, and and run its hand about the fact that the Supreme Court doesn't have an army. <clears throat> and depends upon public acceptance and the acceptance of other the other branches of gar- government to have any influence. But where, so did, but where does this come from, though? Right, but this well, makes sense, though. That you need a constitutional amendment to change the Supreme Court decision. That's crazy. Depends on if you can. I mean, if, if you, you can't change the Constitution by, a legis- by legislation. Nor by Supreme and Court so, um, opinion, either, I would think. 
Well, yeah, you could, you could say that, 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 that we're not going to do it. You know, we dare you to come over here with your black robes and make us do it. Um, well, let's take Roe v. Know. Wade. Congress could have said that's an illegal decision. You don't have the authority. We're passing legislation overturning that decision. The president signs it. It's done. That's exactly the same way. Any two branches of, of the federal government should be able to overrule the third one. Why would that not be? In, why would that? Uh, why would you need a constitutional amendment to overturn Roe v. Wade when it's a bogus decision because they never had the authority to make it? Congress could simply because or they they, could, because they've they've decided that that's what the constitution they did decide that's what the constitution said. But it doesn't. <laughs> you know, and, and, and someone needs to stand. But, or, or they could have impeached the justices, who, excuse me, the judges who voted for it. So look, you people have just exercised bad behavior. You have gone outside Article Three. You you've lost your jobs. We're removing you for making this bogus decision, unless you repeal it, which they eventually did. But it's fifty years late. Congress could have done that too. I don't see the problem is that the Supreme Court has to have the same checks and balances that every other branch has. The president can be overruled by the court and the Congress. The Congress can be overruled by the court and the president. Therefore, the court has to, by separation of powers, be able to be overruled by the Congress and the president when they make an opinion. Right. Well, but that's that's why I say you'd have to you'd have to amend the Constitution. But the other but you don't have to amend the Constitution. The other, the other that's, that's what I'm arguing. You don't have to amend the Constitution. You well, just have to right. pass. But, Go ahead. Tell me where I'm wrong. Aspect of, the other aspect of that mm-hmm. is the fact that as the Supreme Court has, I think going back to near the beginning, you know, explained and worried and discussed is that, is that they depend upon the public's acceptance of what they decide. Is that if they, if they don't hold up the appearance uh, so the public believes them, mm-hmm. then the Supreme Court authority would fall apart. And so they, that, this is why, you know, people have explained, this is why they've ducked certain decisions over the centuries. You know, this is why <clears throat> they're supposed to. So they, they should have a built-in um, motivation to, um, to not only uh, follow the Constitution, but explain what they're doing to the public. Because once they lose the public and lose any aura of legitimacy, they're done. Yeah, least, I don't think, I think what they, what they yeah. do should not be done on public opinion. Um, I got Pianchi in the line. I'm going to bring him on. Actually, I made his line live. But uh, uh, just to digress slightly for a second here, Marco uh, in the Netherlands texted in that they have some uh, the, one of the moon rocks in, in a Dutch museum <laughs> apparently is petrified wood. I think that's funny. But the moon rocks I saw in the Smithsonian look, look pretty real to me. And I don't think anybody's uh, disputed those. Anyway, um, Pianchi, you want to get into this? We've got about 15, about 13 minutes before uh, Dorothy gets here. Congress don't have no power over the courts. Why not? If the court has power over Congress, why can't the Congress? That's that's, that's not a separation of powers. The courts. What? The courts. I say courts. The courts, they're there to check a law and see if a law is in align with the U.S. Constitution. They give an opinion. Right. They give an opinion. The states seem to think that the opinions that they give is not constitutional, and they can say, go beat Sam. Exactly, but they don't. But, you but they can't. 
But the Congress can do the same thing. How can you have a separation of powers if one branch of government is immune from checks from the other two? That's a violation of the Constitution. That's a violation of the principle, the spirit, the letter, everything. You can't have that. And so that's what, what, is the, what is Congress going to tell the courts? That's a good question. That's Jonathan. They don't tell the courts anything. The courts, the courts are there to rule on the legitimacy of a law that's passed. The law has to be in line with the Constitution. If someone comes up and look at a rule, a rule that's made by an agency, they can go to the courts and say, well, the rule that you have made is not in align with the statute. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, but like I said, the way, the way it's worked so far for 230 years or whatever it is, <clears throat> is that believes the Supreme Court. So, so, I mean, p- part of it is that nobody questions it. And, and if anybody, if anybody were to, were to say, you know, we're not going to, an official, we're not going to follow the Supreme Court decision. The rest of the country would say you're not. Um, so yeah. so there, it's, this, it's this belief system that... Well, is, people, is, when I was a kid, I believed in Santa Claus. Right. Well, I, I, I understand. But, that's, but the thing is, is that if the Supreme Court says that um, <clears throat> you can't, you can't arrest somebody wearing a funny hat. You know, it, it, arrest them for anything. Put on a purple funny-looking hat. Then you can't arrest them no matter what the charge is. And, and the country just accepts that. Goes, okay. And they just start doing, doing you know, what, what the decision says. When that, when that question comes to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court is going to say, send it back down to the lower courts the way it's supposed to be. Well, it should be. Yeah, they should. But I'm saying that right, right now, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court throws above its weight because because we let it. Yeah, and that's wrong. And you can't create a wrong with another wrong. Why you want to dig a deeper wrong hole? Right. It was wrong. It, it, the law, the, the Constitution has been there forever. If people don't read it, well, then whose fault is that? If people are led to believe into something because of their lack of civic responsibility, and it is to know, that's their fault. Right. You're running on six cylinders. <laughs> you got an eight-cylinder engine. Yeah, what really well, needs to happen, though, uh, he's right, but what really needs to happen is the Congress needs to reject Marbury versus Madison and, redo, and define what the Supreme Court powers are, you know, based on uh, Article 3. And Marbury versus Madison exceeds Article 3. And every, every decision, every opinion resulting from Marbury versus Madison should be ruled as moot. And that's what the problem is. The Supreme Court has exceeded their authority. They've granted themselves power, which you cannot do in the Constitution. It's the only agency of government um, that has granted themselves power. They're not special. They're not different. They're just another branch of government. And yet we treat them as some kind of, you know, gods on Mount Olympus because they yeah, wear black robes right. and they sound authoritarian. But they're not. They're just another branch of government. They have powers and limitations just like every other branch of government. So if the Congress had any balls at all, what they would do is they'd, they'd abolish Marbury versus Madison. It's a bogus decision. You can't do that. I'm sorry we're 200 years late, America, but it still has to be done. And that's what they well, need to do. Put these people back in the box where they belong. Students of the swamp you know, 
remember uh-huh. that the District of Columbia is built on reclaimed swampland. Hmm. Um, it not only, so it not only describes the people, but also the history of hmm. the swamp. Um, right. <clears throat> would, would say that this is done with a wink and a nod, which is Congress is overstepping its authority. So there's sort of this understanding, like, you know, you won't call us on it. We won't call you on it. Um, where's Congress? So, where's Congress overstepping their authority? Oh, they they don't have authority to do a lot of the things they're doing. Well, that's like true. interstate commerce. But they, they should be they, calling they call them too. That, yeah, and the Supreme Court should. That's what the Supreme Court should be doing. So they're worrying about gay well, marriage is, and all kinds okay, of other here, stupid okay, things here, when they should here, be. Let me, let me make this. Let me okay. bring this around full circle, mm-hmm. because ninety years ago, actually starting a hundred years ago. Cong- actually, really more like 110 years ago, the, con- the Constitution was the Supreme Court was doing that. Hmm. It was it was striking down laws as violating the Interstate Commerce Clause right and left. Mm-hmm. And FDR and the Democrats threatened what they're threatening now, which is to increase one of the things, which is to increase the number of the Supreme Court to 13 or 15, so that the progressive uh, president would have a chance to, to nominate all the, the new vacancies mm-hmm. and, and get judges who would look differently. This is no different than the Godfather where the, where the muscle man puts the gun to the, guy, to the businessman's head and says, either your brains or your signature will be on that contract. Mm-hmm. And now is that a valid contract? No, it's no. not. It's coercion. And, and so they're, they're trying to do it again now. Is they're they're trying to they're trying to say that if you don't if you don't do what AOC likes, you know we're going to expand the, the the Supreme Court to to thirteen, and you're going and we're going to fill up the difference with wacko you know well, insane people. Here's the thing too on that, Johnson. The states can say, well, we're going to appoint one judge from each state, twenty five alternate serve for a number of years, 25, then 25, 25, or 12, and 13, 12, and 13, however. Well, they the should, state, should, that, state should appoint one judge. Right. But that that is different from what the Constitution says about how we nominate people. So that would require a change to the Constitution. It's going to require a constitutional amendment. You're absolutely right. And that's what it should do right. to get to that point. That way you take now, the, the number, politics out of these nominations of judges. Yeah, the, the number of the Supreme Court is not specified in the Constitution. So the belief system is is that you, you, you that Congress can change it. You can have as many as you want. But but it has a, but you got two things there. One, you can amend the Constitution to put to whereas one state appoint a judge, or a state can tell them we ain't going to do it because we think it's unconstitutional. Simple. Mm-hmm. Put 50 on them on there. You can put 25 of them on there. If the states say we ain't going to do it, we ain't going to do it. What you going to do to them? Nothing. Then you have to, you have to educate the people because the people would think you're out of your mind because they mm-hmm. learned it all from what – what the vast majority of voters know about our constitution, our government, they learned about in a left-wing school schoolroom. Well, we talk about that too. That these schools need 
need to you need to give parents choice and let the dog follow the child. That's that's right. the next best thing. So let yeah. me let me point something out here. Article Article Six, Clause Two of the U.S. Constitution says. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, uh, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges in every state, mean, well, presumably meaning state judges, it doesn't, there are federal judges in every state, but anyway, the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't say, so, so the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Now, that doesn't... Well, wait a minute. We've, t- we've gone over this in the show. Pianchi knows what's coming here. That's it's what, this, this Constitution. Clause two. Right, I know. That's where I am. Okay, I'll, I'll, but here's where it gets interesting. It's just like the 14th Amendment and the subject to the jurisdiction clause. People miss it. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made, oh, is this, and, oh, just, how is it? Shall be made under, oh, here it is, key phrase, under the authority of the United States. So what does that mean? What is under the authority of the United States? And, and the word Okay, one at a time. The word supreme in that Catholic is lowercase. It's not uppercase. No, it does say authority is uppercase. Well, they they, fl- they flip around the cases all the time. That's not the important part. No, I the important part is what is free. under the authority of the United States? What does that mean? Laws which shall be made it, under it, the authority of the United States. What does that mean? It would most naturally be read within the tradition of the law as meaning within the jurisdiction. And what is the jurisdiction uh, both, of the United States? Not the states themselves. What is the jurisdiction in the Constitution of the United States? Well, it's not what we're doing now, that's for sure. Right, I know that. So the it, jurisdiction it, what, of – go ahead. This is key. It, it would be what the Constitution gives the United States of America jurisdiction over, which is like 10% of what the, the federal government is claiming. <laughs> right, okay. So, but, so the Supremacy Clause does not say that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The Supremacy Clause says that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land where the states have given the authority to the, to the federal government in the Constitution, but it's taken away all the other powers for the Tenth Amendment. So under the authority yeah. of the United States means that any law that's made has to be in compliance with the Constitution. So Roe v. Wade was outside yeah, the authority of the United States. The laws of Congress well, but, but it, what, are what outside I was trying anything. To say is, Go ahead. You know what I'm getting to. What I was trying to say, it also it says the Constitution shall be um, the supreme law of the land. It doesn't say judges' opinions about the Constitution shall be the supreme law of yeah. the land. Well, opinions are subordinate to the, the Constitution That's itself. That's why come, you don't have to abide by an opinion. And that thing mm-hmm. about treaty, that only applies when you're – it only applies with other countries. Uh-huh. And the state governments, the state and judges are only, all the time. Mm-hmm. And the state judges are only bound to the laws where the federal government has jurisdiction. But they only have limited jurisdiction. The state courts well, are not even, bound. It doesn't even by, say the judges in the, the state judges. Well, it says every state it says the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Well that only means but the things God. where the where the federal government has authority. When the states have authority, they're well, not bound by what the they have authority bound by their state. So this and is key. The, and another key are, thing, go ahead. Another um, key thing, Jonathan, is that the federal government gets its powers from the state. That's the way it has to be. 
That's what it was intended to be. They don't they don't they don't wake up in the morning born with powers. They get their powers <clears throat> with from the states and it's obvious because the federal government has what enforcement powers do they have over a state? Nothing other than we would deny you revenue share. Well, if we don't give it to you, you can't deny it. They can't do anything to a state. Yeah, the Supreme Court has ruled that the federal government cannot co-opt the machinery of state government to enforce federal law. Yeah, but the federal but the Supreme Court has no authority over the states uh, except that given to the the Supreme Court in the Constitution. So anything outside the Constitution, well, from the Tenth Amendment, that's it. So this is why all these, well, the, these bogus the things are doing does, don't count. The Constitution does does give Congress the right to resolve disputes between states. Mm-hmm. Well, like, no, the Supreme which, Court has that, which is which is basically only border disputes, really. I mean, you can't imagine anything else we could have had in mind at the. You know, I don't like you is not a dispute that you can say. <laughs> Point um, being, that's one of those, those, those one little, see, there's always this clause there. I want to do, I want to, we got directly here now, so I'm going to get to her. But there's the other thing, um, when, it, when the Constitution talks about the president can nominate, you know, judges and by and with. I want to go over that next time, too, because the whole idea of, it says and by and with. I think those words are very specific, which means they have to do it at the same time. If they have to do it with, that means that they both have to nominate and figure out nominations together. So why the Senate is not nominating judges, I don't know, because they've got the power to do it and by and with the executive. Let's take that one up next. All right. Gentlemen. Yeah. Any announcements, Jonathan? Any any legal happenings that we should know about? Any uh, either court cases or hearings in Congress that we should know about? Oh, there's a lot, but we'll we'll talk about it after. We're so far ahead of of, of events. We'll we'll talk about <laughs> we it happens. I mean, I wanted to I, yeah. I want to make fun of of uh, Carol and her supposed rape in the dressing room of the Bergdorf uh, Bergdorf. Uh, what, oh God, I can't remember the name of the thing. Goodman Bergdorf Goodman Department Store, um, which is going on right now because um, and and again it seems like. Two things are happening with the defamation case about supposedly raping her. One is Trump's lawyers are, are terrible, and Trump won't listen to his lawyers, obviously. And so nothing's changed. Um, you know, so can they screw it up? Yes, they can screw it up. But, uh, you know, they should. he should win, but we'll see. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, case, ask for what does the surveillance cameras say? Tell me next week. Well, they, he, she doesn't even know what year it was in. So how are you going to get the surveillance cameras? That's that's why she should lose. Is is that she waited 30 years, and she doesn't even know what date it was. She doesn't even know what year it was in. You know, he could say, "Look, well, I was." In, you know, right, guys, we're not going like to argue this now. Guys, 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 hold up. We're not going to argue this now. But uh, uh, it reminds me of the, right. the Blasey Ford thing with uh, Kavanaugh. Anyway, next week, let's do it, next gentlemen. Week. Thank you very much. All right. One, two. Okay, bye. All right. See you later. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? 
something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. You know, one day I'm just going to say Alan Dershowitz is on the line or, or President Trump's on the line. You have to go. I don't know what it is. These two, they don't want to stop talking. It's like, guys, I say you're on the line. <laughs> is this a guy thing? Is, is this something that women talk about that women aren't listening to? I don't know what it is. <laughs> they just, they just, you know, they, that's they very interesting, Greg, because I actually have a similar um, situation in my business where I, this is what I feel. My intuitive feeling is that they enjoy the conversation so much because it's so not scripted and it's so authentic and human connected. But the whole show's that way. That, that, we're, we're that way on. every day. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They enjoy that so much and it's so rare in their life that, that they go into this energy of flow and where time, there becomes no time anymore. And huh. like time sort of gets forgotten and they don't actually believe in the structure. Now, this is, sounds esoteric, I guess, but like in the subconscious is no longer believing in the structure of time because you're in the super high, high vibrational flow in your conversation because it doesn't happen. Very few people get, I feel like in this modern world, actually get an opportunity to share openly their thoughts and feelings in an authentic way with another human where the energy is great and there's listening. So I feel like it's not a you thing. It's a, it's just the, what you're doing just encourages that sort of like, wild and untamed humanity. That's what I have to say. Does that feel good? No, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And, and the thing is, for me, that's part of yeah. why I got into radio is so that I could stop, you know, slamming the dashboard of my car and screaming at the radio, knowing nobody else could hear me. I mean, what's the point? What's the fun in that, right? It's much more fun to have your own show. But I, that's why we created this environment here, so that people can be as controversial as they want, uh, as long as, you know, we, we don't get into some really nasty, hateful, racist, horrible stuff like that. But as far as, just, you know, controversy, I don't, we've had Nazis on the show. Bert, you know, so I don't mind people being controversial. Of course, I disagree with them. Uh, and I got called a racist by a uh, Black Lives Matter guy. And that's okay, too. You can call me that. It's not going to have any effect on me. Um, but the point is that yeah, this is, we are that open. Preschool behavior. Bully, bully behavior, preschool behavior. Yeah. I, I don't but, know how to respond to you authentically, so I'm just going to protect myself by throwing a label on you, right? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I get people. I've been accused. Well, I'm going to look for a way to shut you up because if you can't be right and me be right at the same time, and in order for me to like, like my whole identity is about me being right right now because the ego is so fragile, right? And and so if I can't listen to you, I can't hear you because then I would have to like it would have to penetrate this wall of ego and identity I have, which is probably actually helping me escape from having an actuated life where I build amazing things and connect with others huh. and like ha- have total freedom and abundance. I don't know. There's hmm. so much to this, right? <laughs> no, that makes sense too. I mean, I don't think it applies to people in this because they are so engaged and have so much fun doing this. Uh, and I get to do it 15 hours a week. So I, I get plenty. <laughs> you know, in fact, I have to find escapes because I get so much chance to, to say what I, what I think all the time. And I've got buttons here. I can shut anybody up. I try not to, <laughs> except on rare occasions. Um, but the other folks that are... Well, you, you have know, to this, set boundaries for your listeners. You have to protect your listeners from certain... I mean, look, I not, you're not protecting them from ideas. You're protecting them from, hey, this is a safe place in some ways. <laughs> you can guarantee that there's some in some ways you're going to 
you know, not have to go listen to complete garbage or abuse or something, right? No, no, everything here makes yeah. sense, and we try and, and you know, mm-hmm. and I challenge people, and I think they're, they're and, you know, they're, they're saying all kinds of stuff that makes no sense, but it's interesting, the, the labeling folks. Once, I think one of the most important things that people can do is, is give up on the notion that you have to be right, or that you, especially you have to convince a person who disagrees with you that they're wrong. Because then the heels get dug in and people yell and scream at each other. And, you know, it's great for talk radio ratings, I suppose. But nothing actually happens. I don't care if somebody disagrees with me. I really don't. I may, I'll, I'll tell my point of view and I may try to, to persuade them. But the fact that someone else believes something really strongly is fine, even if I think they're wrong. It doesn't mm. matter that I think they're wrong. But it may matter to them that they can't convince me of their position, try and beat me over the head with it. It's not going to happen. So give up Mm -hmm. the idea that that everybody has to agree with you and that you have to be right. Once Mm -hmm. you give up that, Mm -hmm. life gets a lot easier. I don't have to be right. I try to be, but I don't have to be. There's no requirement. Mm -hmm. And I change my position sometimes because people will tell me things. You know know what? I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. Let me go consider that. You do that all the time. (laughs) It's great. Mm -hmm. That's why you're here. Yeah. So what's been on your mind? The five layers of sexuality. I think we touched on it um, let's in the touch last the five radio layers of sexuality. show. That's such a great title for a show. The, let's touch the five layers of sexuality. You have to use that line. Yeah. It's, just, it's good. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's five feminine geniuses. And so this is going to be a highly feminine topic. And I don't mind at all if you contribute with the masculine. In fact, when I was dwelling well, you know on the topic to. and I was like, I was like, Greg's going to be like, what about the masculine? And I know that and I honor that. And I actually, I have a friend and I uh-huh. thought to myself way too late that, ooh, he'd be good to call in or to Probably even just give him some, some, because he's all about the divine masculine, super strong, super fun. I don't agree with everything he says. We should do a show says, on that. No, let's, let's it, do a show on most that. Of it. Because, yeah. And so he would probably have the, I don't, how do I make this stop dinging? Oh, I know, do not disturb. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the five, I know technology isn't mine. But um, so the either. five feminine geniuses, I think we touched on it, and the feminine energy excels in the most. So, you know, all of us have to have masculine and feminine energy to operate in this world healthily, healthily and happily. Um, Uh But some of us come to the table with super strong um, feminine energy and we feel really good in that energy and that just feels really authentic. You've got super strong feminine energy, darling. That's why you're here. (laughs) I I love the fact that you have super strong. But but you you know I'm going to represent Maxim, but I'm going to be curious. I'm going to be curious to find out what your guy friends who listen to this show Mm -hmm. think about about, uh, our our dialogue and the way we discuss things and that they know I'm going to put the, the masculine view forward just because. Because it's not represented as much. Um, they really enjoy listening to it. I think many men are hungry for a woman to talk openly about what do we need, want, and crave to be super happy. And the reason yep. they want to hear that is because they're married. And there's always, not always, but frequently a sense of feeling like their wife is unhappy. And there's nothing a man wants more than for his woman to be happy. And if he goes long enough with, and his woman's unhappy with him, that's mm-hmm. the end of the relationship. And in a marriage... Even if it's not divorce, it's essentially emotionally divorce. It's like there's nothing there, you know. So I feel like men, I've had some feedback um, that they love listening to it. Um, I have heard, Dorothy, sometimes you don't complete your topic. And I'm like, that's okay. That's why you can come back and listen another week. Oh, it's because I interrupt constantly. (laughs) That's part of the problem. Well, but I just if you think don't, pop into I my really head. end up yeah. lecturing. I mean, and I, and I talk no, and talk don't. and talk. And it's like, no, you're fine. Well, I love to. I used to get in trouble in school. I always got in trouble for talking. So, um, <laughs> This is a talk show. Okay, it's so kind of required. Five, yeah. The five feminine geniuses are um, mm-hmm. 
as, and this is as defined by Sheila Kelly, but she took this from a broad source of ancient and modern knowledge. So it's, I'm compiling this to present it in one certain way, but women or men who have listened or heard this before in some other aspect may have different words for it, but it's essentially the same. So the genius, the ability to move, move in a curvaceous way, a nonlinear way, so not point A to point B, but actual physical body movement of ambling. So if you ever watch um, a typical masculine person walk into a home or walk into a place, they usually go point A to point B and out the door. Like very, um, but if you see a woman, especially in her home environment, you know, she'll, she'll walk by a load of laundry and maybe fold a few pieces and then, oh, the stove just dings. Let me go turn that off. Oh, my phone. Oh, hi, so-and-so. Yeah. And then back to the laundry and, oh, wait, I forgot I need to wrap that gift. So not just in the home, but even shopping, you might notice this when a woman is really, you know, she's, she's browsing, she's looking at everything. She may have one idea going in and then a different idea, whereas the masculine energy tends to say, you know, I want, I'm getting this item, I want it now, I'm going to finish this task, and then I'm done, check, you know. So when I say curve of movement, you know, not just walking with the hips undulating and the breasts lifted and the curve of the smile on the face and the hands gesturing. Lots of women talk with their hands moving in this very curvaceous, if you notice, sort of manner when they're talking. Um, that goes beyond that. It's also a nonlinear movement through the world. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, okay. I see women is very, very circular uh, in, in many different ways, and it, it's quite fascinating. Of course, a lot of guys would say that you you can't make a decision, you can't come to a point, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, you'd rather mm-hmm. talk about a problem than fix it. I mean, that's that's the counter to yeah. that. But both are required. That's why we need times, you. That's why yeah. we need you. Yeah, well, we need each other, but but what's fascinating, and yeah. another thing I want to find out is, uh, is I, I'm curious to hear which guys talk to you about the fact that I'm representing the guy point of view, because they don't hear it. Hardly anywhere. That's something I'd be curious about as well. But um, circular, you know, it's interesting when you when you uh, when you go into a room. Do you do you go from like I say from one door out the other door? It's like you've missed most of the room. So I will probably do like I know this when I'm in parties. I've been to one for a while. I don't get out much. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work in the show. But a, a lot of times I would walk around all the space and look at the lamps and chairs and explore and look at the people and and see the dynamics of the, all the different groups and things like that. So in many ways, I, I would. Uh, probably take what you would call a feminine approach to uh, to a party because I would explore the room and then I'd take the masculine approach. I'd find the person I want to talk to and go engage them individually. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. they actually do complement each other. They do. And not only that, we have all a healthy adult or a healthy person has integrated. If Even if I have a feminine body and I'm primarily feminine, if I don't integrate mm-hmm. my healthy masculine energy, like you said, I will never make a freaking decision. I will yeah. never get from point A to point B. And in the, in the world, mm-hmm. we have to be able to do that to function. So, so if I haven't integrated my healthy masculine, that looks very chaotic in my life. And um, mm-hmm. I either need a man that's very grounded and that will kind of, quote, do it for me, which isn't fully fair all the time. Or, or I, <laughs> well, or I, if you depend on him to do that. And if, if he makes the wrong yeah. decision, you blame him for making the wrong decision. And this is something women do, too. This is something fascinating. I just, I just thought of this. But uh, women will say, well, what do you think? And then if it t- turns out wrong, I said, well, you screwed up. Well, wait a minute. You asked me what I thought. <laughs> you know, this, you got responsibility, too, for, for accepting the decision. But uh, it is it, it is fascinating. Like, you just made a decision recently, too. Um, I think you got a house, right? So that's, that's a decision. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest. So for me, that was a very spiritually guided decision. So you're huh. going to say, I'm not, I don't know how this sounds to everybody, but this is my truth. Okay, I'm very feminine. I don't always, ha- I'm, I'm practicing, I'm getting better at 
getting in touch with my masculine as I've been divorced and I've had to take mm-hmm. on these tasks in the real world. I'm getting really good at it. However, what mm-hmm. I have found is I can go to God and I can say, Father God, I need a house. This is what I'm looking for. Help mm-hmm. me out. And I will literally be shown. So, so I almost didn't need to make the decision. I mean, I did, but it was given to me. It was given to me by a masculine energy. That sounds maybe crazy, but I really no, feel no, that listen, in my heart. I, I felt I found, so cared uh, for. I felt so cared for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I live in a cottage that I literally, the car steering wheel almost turned on its own down a street. I mean, yes, my hands were turning the wheel, but all of a sudden I thought, I have to turn left I here. love I that know story. Why. It's true. It's absolutely true. I turned left, you know, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a house with an apartment for rent. Um, it's one of these in-law cottage places, and uh, I've been here for six years, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, but it literally was the hand of God, you know, in turning the wheels. Like, Greg, you need to turn the wheel now. <laughs> like, I didn't hear the voice, but I'm just saying the wheels turned and the, my will turned. And for some reason, I physically turned the wheel. Why am I turning here? I'm like, so like asking myself as it's happening. And then, of course, everything, all the events that followed were, were exactly as they should have been. Um, something I want to think about, too, that uh, chaos is a good thing. And I'll tell you why. Because no, the, chaos the, the, is. And, and, wait a minute. Um, let me, let me, let me tell you why. I'll tell you why. And you can tell me yeah. what you think. But uh, the reason chaos is, is a good thing is because if the masculine energy is directed, then that, that removes options. And in the chaos part of it, and this is where the feminine would be good, is to, to have a, all kinds of options in your head. Go, oh, my God, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Da, da, da. So, but the masculine would not consider the other options. And maybe there's a better one. So you need both. I, uh, this is why I think masculine and feminine energy has to work together. Because if you don't have the That's chaos, you're not going to have all the options to consider because you're going to be directed yeah, towards whatever your program is towards. Yeah. Yeah. The feminine is unlimited ideas and unlimited freedom. Okay. I Mm -hmm. want to touch on the five feminine because we're not going to get to our five layers of sexy, which is okay with me. But um, But the first one is is move curvaceous, right? Is curve of movement. And again, that's like broad definition and also physically in the body. Sensuality is another one. Uh, So we, the brain studies have been done enough that I don't care what new science is there. The feminine masculine brain is different. If you're born with mm-hmm. an XY chromosome versus XX, the brain is formed differently. There's a ton of things to influence this, not just, not just like, okay, I was born with this, with this sex chromosome. There's other things that influence, but the brain that um, the nerve endings of the feminine body are different, uh, have different um, amounts. So in the pelvic region and the fingertips, the feminine body tends to have more nerve endings. They tend to have a more mm. acute sense of smell. And, um, and there's a reason for all of that. If you're the homemaker and you're the nurturer, the toucher of children, if you're the um, sewer of clothes, if you're the taster of food, again, I'm not putting anyone in a box, but in however many years of evolution you believe we, we had, you know, the feminine needed high levels of sensuality. Um, and that is a very safe place for the masculine energy. They love that. They love um, oh, yeah. Being able to be with a presence that notices and appreciates and feels and, um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if women weren't the sensual sens- and, and irresistible, we'd be hunting and fishing and doing other stuff. <laughs> so there's a, there's right. a, there's a really it's good, a there's a really good reason to. for it. Yeah, the yeah, sensual, exactly. The sensual creature creates a nest, a home for mm-hmm. the masculine energy who's been out in the world, you know, fighting tooth and nail and struggling in a very cold world to come home and rest. So sensuality, another feminine genius. Um, emotability. Emotability is another, the ability to What's recognize that? emotions in others, the ability to feel emotions fully. Um, nothing, is, nothing is 
to uh, the, the healthy feminine for the healthy feminine who's not wounded. Uh, no emotions are off limits from others and for herself. And she can recognize it and feel it fully and maybe not sink into it and lose herself, but acknowledge it, welcome it to the table. Um, when others are experiencing a wide variety of any emotion, the ability to kind of key out on what that is and mm-hmm. um, receive it without judgment. And this is again, the healthy feminine. So we don't always see healthy feminine, but um, receive it without judgment and um, welcome it and possibly uh, comfort it and then redirect it possibly to something healthier mm-hmm. or a better expression. Yeah. So emotability. Well, again, chaos is to direction. There's, mm-hmm. there's a similar theme here of chaos to direction. If you can handle, if you can experience mm. every emotion, you still have to be selective as to which one you know, makes the most sense for you. So again, there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a real strong masculine component to this feminine energy, which is where I want to see the feminine component of the masculine energy when we do that side. But this is interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Typical um, us. Typical well, Monday. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so emotability to be able to express, express emotions and receive them and recognize them in others. And for the masculine, again, who's maybe been out in the world, you know, fighting and cut off, closed off because – you know, I had this conversation yesterday with a woman, a client in one of my classes, you know, for her to go into the business world and then try to transition back into her feminine energy. She's really learning how to do that. It's a challenge because her business environment is very closed off to her feminine flow. If she must be, she feels like she must be in her masculine in order to achieve and be respected. So if you think of the masculine energy out in the world, they want to come home to a place where everything is, is the emotions are welcome and they can just relax. So. I'd be curious to talk about so I mean, women businesses yeah. and the businesses that women start, um, because I don't mm. I, I, I don't know how many stockworking firms or accounting firms are started by women, as compared to interior decorating or architecture or things mm. like that. Yeah, be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean there are many women who love math, um, and and they go into careers where um, that is, I, you know. I was actually really good at math, um, believe it or not, in statistics. And I believe I can, it. I can tutor my I kids. I suck at math. Yeah, and I don't know why. Per- I don't know why. Probably, but, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> somehow I got that. Okay, the fourth one is communication and connection. Communication, oh, the talky-talky-talky-talky. So my, the man I've been with recently that I'm very close with, he would comment, God, you talk to people everywhere we go. We can't go anywhere without you getting in a conversation. And my kids <laughs> say the same thing. I, I have a woman friend that says exactly the same thing about me. She talks to everybody. How do you do so, that? I just, I, I always have. My it's a communication and connection. It's a feminine genius. And okay. so, the, and again, when I say feminine, you know, I mean that energy. No, I don't say it badly. I mean, look at salespeople. No, look, at, look at guys yeah. that sell airplanes, you know, multi-billion dollar airliners. The, the, this head salesperson at Boeing makes, what, five million a year or something like that, you know, because they sell big airplanes. That's a sales job. They've got to be able to okay, communicate. Hold, okay, yeah. That's feminine energy. Who okay, cares? This is interesting. This is interesting. Ah. I've had this conversation with a man who does not want to have – conversations everywhere he goes he doesn't enjoy that he doesn't he only wants to talk to people he already knows and likes very limited but he is in sales and he talks to people all day long the difference is this he oh. is task oriented talking there's a goal okay. for the talking there's literally a reward for the talking that is a tangential um i'm winning in the world reward versus when i'm talking to someone i mean i i go to whole foods and i tell the produce guy how beautiful the carrots look they're so big they're so colorful and then mm-hmm. he tells me, you know, we'll get you some big carrots to take home. And I was like, oh, maybe I will. And there's a little flirty and, 
it's just so lovely. Or I tell a woman, oh, my gosh, I love your hair. And then we start talking about where she gets it done and how she couldn't find someone for a long time because she moved here from New Jersey. And what is that like? I mean, just, you know, he's not doing this. My masculine friend is not doing this. He is, his conversations that he engages with all day long are about winning in the world, how, how he hmm. can, you know, win and achieve a goal. That's why he's doing it. So sales, you know, that's how okay. I think about that maybe that's a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he'll even say, you know, you have to be able to be a good conversationalist. I can talk to anyone. I can talk to anyone about anything. I can connect with anyone. I just don't feel like it in my but private life. genuine, though, at that like... point. See, now, if he just, now just, here's a question for, does he genuinely believe, and you may not want to, this may be a little more detailed, mm-hmm. but no, does, does he genuinely believe in the product that he's selling? Because that makes a difference. Yes. If you're really interested, if you're selling cars that are horrible and the wheel's going to fall off, you know, five seconds after you get out of the parking lot, then you're a crook. Okay, you're you're doing you're manipulating no, using conversation he, he in that enjoys, way. But he enjoys the field he's in. He understands mm-hmm. it very well, mm-hmm. and and the field he's in actually overall contributes to value a value he believes in. So it's not that he just doesn't. He wouldn't be having all the conversations if he didn't have to. He would be going and accomplishing okay, his so, task probably quite quietly alongside other men without a lot of chit chat. You know. Huh. So mm-hmm. another, but what if he had a job, say, of, of computer programming and he did all his work on the computer at home? He didn't have to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. They got the home office all set up. Then would he want to go out in the world and just for the hell of it, just have a conversation at the grocer, you know, uh, you know, the, the woman who's making the perfect, you know, deli sandwich. Hey, you look fabulous today, by the way. And what kind of meat is that? Where's that ham from? You know, um, I don't believe yeah. this person would. However, okay. we're all on a spectrum of needs. And so generally speaking, the feminine energy has, it's not just a want, it's a need. Like you can mm. talk to different housewives and different women from all over mm. and they'll tell you, especially a housewife who has kids, like the amount of, of, of like soul barrenness and isolation and sadness that they begin to feel if a day goes by and they're not interacting with other women and other adults. Like that feminine energy really craves that, needs that connection. Whereas... Mm-hmm. Again, there's a spectrum. We all share some of this energy, but the masculine energy really doesn't. They can sit quietly and achieve a task with other men without a lot of verbiage um, and doing. The goal is doing, not connecting. The goal is achieving, not connecting. And again, everyone can play on that spectrum a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like guys are inventors more because we sort of, Mm. uh, we have a need to do and a need to create and a need to, you know, put things together that no one's done before. Yeah. I don't think it's a Mm -hmm. coincidence that the Wright brothers were guys, that, uh, Edison Mm -hmm. was a dude, that, uh, uh, Wozniak and Jobs were, were men who lived in their garage and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, all those people. Uh, it's usually men that have this desire to to have a, have just as much need well, to create as women have a need to communicate, which is quite interesting. Well, women have a need to create. I think creation by pa- like overlaps both energies. However, yeah. I will say that a man's invention typically have spoken very loudly to a world that values, um, you know, transportation, um, technology. Um, well, how things, about like, art? things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, uh, oh, this is great. Uh, Norman Rockwell. This is, I want mm-hmm, to pick somebody mm-hmm. you know, relatively current, uh, or some of the mm-hmm. artists that are out there now that are fabulous. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're creating stuff that. Uh, do we need it? Yes and no. <laughs> you know, does it make mm-hmm. the world move faster? No. Is it beautiful and describe us? Yes. You know. And so, I don't uh, think women. And I love I love the masculine inventors. I mean, we have Leonardo da Vinci. We have. I love this. I will say I think probably women 
I know have, have a lot of invention and creativity, yet it's going to speak to how to make, you know, how to make child rearing, how to make cooking, how to make how, writing stories, telling the stories, you know, in the books mm-hmm. and things like that. But, yeah. um, okay, so the fifth, the fifth feminine genius is intuition, mm. which we've spoken a lot about. Um, and that is just, well, there, so <laughs> one definition of intuition, if you look in the dictionary, is about that they say it's really just a subconscious recognizing a pattern. I don't believe that. No, take away. Yeah. No, there's something very that, spiritual with intuition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something you cannot, you, we cannot define by current science. Like how do you just know something? How do you get moved towards this versus that when you're listening to your heart? And um, the, it's a feminine genius of, of being able to know something, know the unknown, to know mm-hmm. which way to go and, and to feel someone's energy and know if they're toxic, to know if they're, um, someone you should be mm-hmm. around um, this house uh, that I found. It was very intuitive. And I believe intuition is a divine gift. It comes from the divine. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me, let me talk about this in terms of uh, how, what's the difference between science and art? Hmm. Hmm. Cause this is, this is um, exactly where intuition well, comes from. Do you think of it as a science or an art? If people are trying to quantify it scientifically and they can't do it, that makes it an art. I think so, of it as a divine gift. Okay, I know that. I think of it as a, I agree with you. As a spiritual I agree with you on gift. that. Mm. But but this is what came to my mind because uh, I remember uh, uh, trying to talk about the difference between science and art. I remember uh, Ed Asner, uh, actor of Mary Tyler Moore Show, way back when. Uh, he had a saying. He said, uh, uh, "Art upsets, science reassures." So we use science to make us, you know, feel good about whatever we're trying to conclude. Global warming, okay, we, we can solve this by getting rid of carbon dioxide. I feel like science. I feel like science is the way we try to explain the world. We we try to find ways that we can define and explain our physical world, right? So and what's art, art is the way we. I feel like, and this is just me, like closing my eyes and feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like art is the way we express our experience in this world, in this realm. Hmm. <clears throat> Okay. I'm going to give you a scientific, my scientific analysis that uh, the difference is the variables. And the reason that intuition is an art, and it is a divine gift, I agree with you, but it's the variables. See, science, I think, has much fewer variables uh, in terms of what's going on. But art, and, and I, I used to talk about this when I, I taught people how to, how to fly airplanes. And I said, well, there's, there's a science to this. You follow a procedure and you should be able to land the airplane. I said, no, it doesn't work that way. I said, landing an airplane is mm-hmm. an art. I said, designing an airplane, that's a science. You've got Reynolds numbers mm. and aerodynamic coefficients and all that kind of stuff. You can, you want to design airplanes? Pretty much, the formulas are pretty well known now. Because you can make a delta wing fighter or a sailplane, and you know that you know long fin wings are going to make for a great glider, and you know delta aerobatic wings are going to make for a really good fighter plane. They all know that. Uh, how do you mm. land them? Though? Mm-hmm. Well, the the reason that landings are an art is because there's too many variables. Sun, temperature, rotation of the earth, atmospheric pressure, humidity, you know, how you feel that day, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the last mm. mechanic that worked on the plane. There's like, there's millions more variables. And I think the where art takes over from science is and so at some point there's just too talking. many variables. Hmm? Ah, something's talking on my phone. Yeah. Oh, I just suddenly oh, had this audio. Sorry about that. It's God. It's God. You know, we're, we get, we get, let me tell you what happens on, on the, oh my God report with Wendy, uh, Wendy, Arthur. Wendy and I joke about everything. She's been on the show for years. In fact, I just made, uh, she was my first video. So what I'll do to her, I found the sound effect that, that does this. 
And then it's a Wendy. Hold on. Wait a minute. Yes, God? Oh, you like this report too? Okay, thanks very much. We'll keep going. So intuition is divine. Appreciate the help. And then she'd like laugh and we'd crack up. <laughs> but the, the, but, uh, this, but uh, this is the time I've had some God, you know, interrupt our, uh, one of the reports other than Wendy's Oh My God report. But that's what we do here. <laughs> Gets kind of crazy. Um, but as far as intervention, I think uh, intuition is definitely a gift. But there's a point where these things become an art. And intuition and communication and all these things you talk about, I think, are much more on the art side than the science side. So if we try and quantify these scientifically, we'll never understand them. Because they are much more art mm-hmm. than they are science. That was my point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That's an interesting segue. I, I'm not, my brain isn't really there, but I'm listening, like, science versus art. Because I, mm-hmm. I feel like intuition doesn't fall into either of those. But um, oh, well, these are Gregisms. Again, I have you're, you're getting all my Gregisms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay, that's so, the whole point is giving you new mm-hmm. things to think about. Yes. Those are wonderful. I love it. Um, <laughs> so I guess really the genius is we've covered that and what it ties into, which I found is a really hot topic, but I just wanted to cover the geniuses first, um, uh-huh. is these five layers of, of, of sexuality. So in order to progress through these layers, being in touch with these geniuses and being aware of them in the body and moving into them, moving, moving towards them, right? Playing with mm-hmm. them, playing in the fields of curve of movement, playing with the fields of noticing your sensuality, noticing, walking outside, feeling the warm sun on your body. So the first layer is called flatline. And flatline is when, um, and I'm going to say woman, uh, again, because that's, that's what I work with, but a mm-hmm. man can be flatlined also, obviously. But let's talk about feminine energy. So the, okay. we're not in touch with these geniuses. We're, we've, we've turned off our connection to the feminine geniuses, to protect, usually to protect, usually to protect ourselves, self-protection from, inner, from childhood wounding. But um, the first layer is flatline, and that means there is almost no connection to the body's sexuality, little to no connection. And, you know, if you get in your mind an image as I'm talking, you've definitely seen a woman in flatline. And mm-hmm. there, can be a, um, there can be an unhealthy flatline, so unhealthy, so it came from society, came from upbringing, religious norms. Um, the message is that the feminine, uh, feminine sexuality is shameful, needs to be kept under wraps, needs to be turned off, needs to be controlled. Okay, another reason uh, for flatline that might be less healthy is fear-induced, yeah? So um, fear from the news and from stories they've heard or their own personal experiences of being uh, sexually abused. So a fear of their own sexual power, fear of others um, that might have a... Fear of untamed... your own sexual power, what's, what's, what's that? Well, I, I don't want to get too into that, but... Um, Separate show. So the word power, the word power, let's, let's be free with that word in our head a little bit. Let's keep the little loosey-goosey. Let's, let's right, get up with the beater. Yeah. yeah, let's keep that loose because we don't want to hone too much on that word if it's a trigger for saying that you're using something. No. No, um, no, I wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking in terms of the individual, not, not in using sex, the sexual sexuality, power. The, right. sexual, the sacred sexuality of a woman's root chakra of that area and her sexual energy can move mountains. It can jump timelines. You can literally manifest something in a matter of days or hours. It is huh. so powerful. It's been known. This has been known in religions and traditions since the beginning of time. It has been, in my, in my estimation, been 
consciously, intentionally cut off and repressed by um, hierarchical powers who know about this. So I don't want to get too into that, but okay. um, so fear-induced, turning off sexuality to a fear of your own. Okay, let's, let's say I've, let's say, hmm, let's say I'm a 12-year-old girl and I'm just beginning to develop and um, I go to school and I love this new top I got with this matching skirt at Forever 21 or maybe that store's too old for a 12-year-old, but a cute store <laughs> with you. And all of a sudden I get some interesting attention that I'm not ready for. No one's talked to me. No one's given me great sex ed. No one's talked to me about anything. And I feel very powerful, the strange power I have now, but also I don't know what to do with it, so I don't manage it well. And it goes down a wrong path, and now I'm being called a slut. I'm just telling the story. I'm just making this up as I go. But um, that can create a fear of, of sexual power because it was not, there wasn't a good education and a gentle, um, you know, owning, owning sexual power and keeping it in appropriate places. There, there's especially if a woman, a girl hasn't gotten enough attention, maybe from dad or whatever, the sexual power can be misused. And then if something bad happens, now we're afraid of it. So there's a lot that can happen on that. But um, also fear of, of others that might have um, an untamed sexual appetite, the unhealthy masculine that uses it, um, also wasn't given great education or great role models and is not um, using his sexuality in an honoring way, right? So fear of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could, we could just say rape or whatever, but the fear of that or a fear of the unknown. So fear induced flat lines. So um, for those reasons. And then the third is um, self-inflicted. So either um, you've just turned off your sexuality because maybe a woman is so exhausted, single parent, children, work, financial things, um, maybe illness, um, again, fear. So just literally purposely turning it off completely or, um, self-hatred, uh, gotten very obese. Um, there's many reasons that it, just turning it off, just intentionally turning it off. I can't even do this. I can't even go here. I'm not, into, I don't want to even. So um, a healthy flat line is mm-hmm. when, um, when we are, we know that uh, the space we're entering as women is not uh, someplace we want to have that energy flowing. We would like to, um, it's, it's healthier and better for us at this point in time to intentionally flatline ourselves for protection um, when the body wants privacy um, from getting space invaded, um, does not want attention, unwanted attention. So, you know, you'll see a woman flatline walking by a construction site or um, in certain, just in certain situations where it's not, and, and being aware of this is actually very healthy. Um, being aware, aware of what you might feel in your body versus what other people see and that the knowledge right now, I don't want others to see this part of me. So question. That's the first layer. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking of, of women who are uh, obviously include beautiful and attractive and are going to attract a lot of male attention uh, as opposed to women that uh, are, are average or maybe not quite as attractive, is there a difference in terms mm-hmm. of flatline of, of a woman who does not get the same amount of male attention who might want more um, as opposed to the, the, you know, the model quality, <laughs> um, you know, glamorous woman that's going to get a whole there bunch of so attention. There's so much to that. Whew. There's so much to that because we that's have what I thought. culture right now. Well, there's yeah. a lot to that and I'm going to touch. So there we have a culture right now that mm-hmm. is so superficial that, and, and again, 
uh, I'm all about a woman feeling cute and looking amazing. And I will say this, every Mm -hmm. woman, every woman can be super hot and attractive Mm -hmm. to men because it's not just about physical appearance. Although when a woman really loves herself, she becomes cute. She, she's healthy. She ends up having, whether it's a curvy body, a little bit curvier or super skinny naturally, she ends up having this healthy, healthy body, healthy, her, her shoulders are upright. Her eyes are sparkling. She's drinking lots of water. She's taking care of herself. She has an energy about her. The hair is nice and glossy. She likes to mm-hmm. fix it. She spends time. There is something that energetically attracts abundance through the universe and also makes a woman really attractive. Even if you glance at her and physically at first she isn't your quote type. It, it just happens. So every woman who's super self-realized and very happy with herself um, is in a sense to a healthy masculine can be attractive. Now everyone has their types. I'm not saying every woman is attractive to every man. That, that being said, we have a culture right now that is very fake presentational. So it took the authentic feminine juicy energy and said, hey, let's put a stamp on it. Let's put it in a plastic mold and present it, and men, your job is to get as many of these women as you can, check off the boxes, have sex with as many as you can, drive a fancy sports car, and this is what the masculine does. This is what a true man does. He gets as oh, many I women as he can. Oh, I want a fancy sports car just because I like fancy but sports cars. On. <laughs> but hold but on. You know, I, I don't want to get off topic because this is important. Okay. Do, do you yeah, hear what I'm right. saying? It's, it's a toxic uh-huh. masculinity. It's a talk presentation. It's a fake it's not the divine masculine that's a protector provider that makes a legacy in his community. It's an image created because there's a hole. There's a hole in him. There's a wounded child who okay. never felt appreciated for being masculine, who never got to grow into masculine. Maybe he didn't have a masculine role model. Maybe he didn't have whatever he didn't have. There was, there was problems. And so as a man, he's like, okay, I want the image woman. I want the woman that looks like the Victoria's Secret. I want as many the as trophy I can wife, get, yeah. one after the other. And I want yeah. a sports car and I want big muscles and now I'm a man, now other men will envy me. And it's so cheap. And so now you have women who, because our culture has grown us all up together, right? We're all in this together. Um, yeah. Who right. then are forcing themselves into this mold. And when you get to know them below the surface, drama, drama, distance, flatline, you name it, it's, it's garbage underneath the perfect surface. It's, it's performative. It's insecure. It's clingy because the meat isn't there, right? The true feminine, healthy ocean flow meat isn't there. I mean, I know well, that's a lot of words, but <laughs> um, that's okay. Well, oh, I, I was thinking, so, yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking that the more attractive right. woman would be more likely to flatline for getting more attention. It's like you know, and it's like, why am I getting all this no, attention? Why, you know, oh, so when we're saying attractive, when we're saying attractive, do we mean a woman who truly knows who she is, who's walking through the world with joy? and beauty and love for others and like where she goes she's smiling she's she's taking care of others she's in a way that's also taking care of herself first like is that what we're talking about the attractive woman or are we talking about you know no, the blonde, I was just, blown out big boobs, i was looking at from guy point of makeup. view I was looking at, uh, okay yeah, but see that to me is not attractive it's kind of funny actually i have you know big hair jokes which you've all told but i'm thinking of, of women that are really attractive to guys is there a tendency okay. to sort of you know, think of, of uh, you know, themselves or men as, as less of their only valuing her attractiveness. And for the woman that's like average attractive or even below average attractive would be, would not have sort of the burden of being the attractive person and could go much more on who they are. And I'm just, or, or they flatline because they're not getting the attention. I mean, I'm just, I'm curious where, where attractiveness fits into this. Uh, are you, you talking get, about like, there's then, a natural attractiveness, like a woman is truly beautiful. She has no makeup. She's just right. really 
Or are you talking about like because the the natural right? So that woman, when you say attractive to men, okay, Uh that woman who's naturally attractive to men, um, Mm -hmm. if if she's not dressing in a way that shows she's trying super hard to get attention, if she's Mm -hmm. not heavily made up, if she truly is happy with herself and very, she's not probably not going. I mean, there's exceptions, obviously, but. She's much less likely to get that toxic, unwanted attention that, that's, mm. that's pushy and that, that, that's space grabbing, that's, that's pushing into the space. There's so much here. Um, there always is. On, really some level, we, uh, on some level, the woman uh-huh. that is done up, even if uh-huh. it is actually asking for a lot of sexual attention, but frequently at the same time, she could be flatlined and not even wanted at all. Um, and that's, again, messages from childhood, messages from being brought up, like what's a woman worth, what is femininity, you know, all this kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And I've, I've known gorgeous women that purposely, you know, dress really sloppily and ugly to not be attractive. It's kind of fascinating, too. Um, yeah, I have so a intentional, healthy flatline. Flat mm-hmm. yeah, are you expecting anybody because I have a caller, but I don't generally take calls I don't know on, on our show just because we've had issues in the past. Are you expecting anybody? Um, let me look at my messages. Uh, yes. Oh. I believe so. Let's let's, okay, just let's, let's try it out. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's bring him on then. And if I'm wrong, then you'll never be on the show again. <laughs> Call it, go ahead. Okay. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I just uh, we got we got kind of busy here with stuff, and uh, uh, and that's just my policy. If I don't see you on the list, then I, I kind of wonder. Anyway, go ahead. You're on with uh, Dorothy, and I'm Greg. Hi. How Who's are this? you? There uh, um, we go. This is Who's Samantha. This? Samantha. Hi, Samantha. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I love Samantha. Has called. <laughs> She's called in before. Uh, well, I put you on the list now. Yes. My mistake. I'm sorry, Samantha. No, you're fine. You're fine. I've been enjoying listening to you guys talk. This has been great. Uh, we we I have fun. In it, so. <laughs> we can probably yeah, do three shows yeah. a week and, be, and, and, get, and get away with it. But, uh, yeah. Oh, easily. So what's on your mind? Easy, what is easy. on your mind? Yeah. What's going um, on? I'm just loving this topic, and it's funny how aligned I feel with, like, the five feminine geniuses this, at, this morning, actually, as you were talking about the curvaceousness of movement. I'm, this morning I've been doing laundry, doing dishes. Um, were you dancing at the I same paid time? I my rent. Tell me. Were you dancing? dancing? at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Thought so. Tell us. Tell us. I sat down and did this. I went, you know, I I folded a couple things of laundry, and then I went to my bathroom and tidied up a couple things. Then I went back to the laundry. Then I went back to the dishes. Um, And it's all getting done, just not in a linear fashion. And I find that interesting because there are so many people that, you know, would knock out their laundry, knock out their dishes, go clean the bathroom. And I've done everything in a little bit. I, I must be the most feminine guy, even though I think of myself as, as, as masculine, because I do 15 things at once. You know, I, I start the frying pan warming up on the stove. I go throw in a load of laundry. I come back here and do a computer thing, and then I go back and throw the eggs on. Then I then start the yeah. laundry machine. Then I come back here and, uh, you know, do another Facebook post. I mean, I'm, I'm doing at least, I don't know if it's ADHD or, or just me, but I, do, I, I, don't, I never do yeah. one thing at once. On this show, I'm doing five things at once. I, I got one hand on the mouse, one hand on the keyboard. I'm talking. I got another hand on the phone. And all this, and I got buttons to push, and it's all happening at the same time. But that, I'm comfortable in that in the world. I can't do one thing and then yeah. another. I'm not linear at all. Explain that one. I can't Explain. either, and I think there's just so much going on. And <laughs> something that I'm always, I always get on to people about when they talk about, well, I can multitask. You need to multitask. It's like, no, you can't. You can't. Your brain does several different things, but it goes back and forth between different things. It doesn't yeah. do several things at once. That holds my um, interest, though. Don't so is that ADHD that. or what? 
because they have to do something. I don't know. I've kind of always wondered that, too. But when Dorothy was talking, I was like, well, that explains why I always do this. Because, oh, okay. you know, I get bored and I'm, I'm intrigued by other things. And then something pops up and then I was like, oh, I'm a little hungry. I want to go eat some food. And then I was like, oh, shit, mm. I need to pay my rent. Let me go sit down and do that. And I was like, oh, I need to go <laughs> get these dishes going. Oh, God, I forgot that I still have laundry going. <laughs> Isn't that and, interesting? Um, and I think that's yeah, you sound like me. <laughs> or I sound like you, one or the other. But yeah. this makes me think of kids in school and the ADHD med- medication because our schools mm-hmm. traditionally came from Germany, the public school system, and it was intended to get the poor kids mm-hmm. off the street. And it was very masculine in or- orientation, very linear, very non-feminine. And so I, I wonder if we have these medicated boys, I wonder if, um, because what you're describing, we've been to eclectic homeschool communities and they intentionally do that. They have a lot of variety available, and the children are allowed to go to the sewing room and leave it and then go to the computer room and leave it and mm-hmm. then go to the building room. They're allowed to do that freely throughout the day in these mosaic uh, schools, ag- agile learning centers. So I'm actually thinking, as you're saying this, Samantha, like, all, you know, and we're calling it, you know, we're saying, is this ADHD? Well, what if this is actually how a genius human naturally operates when they're more in their feminine energy. Oh, now I feel better. Um, Maybe. <laughs> I feel a lot better. Because mm-hmm. I do that all day. I mean, I, I, like, I flow like crazy from, from activities and brain things. And ideas, I have to write them down or they escape. It's like, uh, it's like you know, herding cats in the rain, as they say. My last talk show host yeah. guest. You know, I, but you, yeah, but look at all this here. We're all multitasking. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That holds my interest because I have the attention span of a gnat, as they say. So if I'm not constantly, you know, kept moving, this is why I have a TV going, watching the news while I'm doing stuff on the computer because I can't, I can't do one thing. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't focus; my life depended on it, except when I'm playing music. But even then. <laughs> so, and anything on Samantha? Anything on sensuality? Anything else? I love the curve and the non-linear. Anything else? Yeah, you yeah. Too, on these geniuses, are you in touch with them? Are Absol- you playing absolutely. with them? As you went, as you went through the list, I was like, oh yes, this and this and this. So with. With sensuality, I mean, you know, I go into a, you know, into a store and I, you know, will look at all of the bananas and like, you know, feel every single one. Which one do I like? Um, I, you know, <laughs> what is it about bananas? You know, you one like? example. Now, now that we're on the subject, bananas, Greg, among some bananas. of my favorite fruits, Greg. That's it's simply she also it. Likes <laughs> I'm just curious. With carrot and uh, cucumbers. She loves the cucumbers. <laughs> Okay. This is a scene from I mean, Animal funny. House. Are cucumbers more sensual or sensuous? Terrible or, or sexual mm-hmm. jokes that aren't funny. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I thought uh, it was I mean, funny. That's why I brought things. them up. Well, let me ask you a serious question. <laughs> I think all of things are connected. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and uh, now, do you purposely become sensual, or is it natural when you walk into a store and do mm. things that you really like? It's natural. You... I get in my okay. own world, and I just focus on all of the things around me. Mm-hmm. And indulge in like the 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 highest level of experience that I can have with each object, person, um, self, even you know the way my clothes feel. I'm always you know t- you know touching my hair, my clothes because it just feels so good. I appreciate the way it feels on my body, the way it makes me feel. Um, and okay, well, so, just, you know. And, that's kind of what I was hoping you'd say and expecting you would say, but my question now for Dorothy is, have men completely lost any sense of sensuality for themselves? I don't believe so, but I believe it's not a masculine genius, meaning unless okay. they have the female energy to be around, they are not going to usually actively seek it out. 
Um, physical pleasure, yes, but sensuality, less so, which is why they love to come home to the feminine. A healthy masculine loves that. It's a, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it opens up a world that they have a little bit of um, naturally, but that they get to really play in and really just jump into and, and like snuggle into. Yeah, I must be mm-hmm. from another planet because I see everything as, 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 as central in art as opposed to science and logic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I was flying airplanes, it was an art. It was magic. You know, when I, mm-hmm. I, I could teach somebody to do something that they'd never done before, that, that was magic. Uh, and mm-hmm. only I, mean, I, I walk down the street and, you know, I can smell the jasmine and I can see the birds. I'm looking for my animal spirit guides. And this is how I go through life. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, and I know that a lot of the best chefs are men. So, so that they must be in touch with something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. You know, and you look mm-hmm. at a lot of, lots of natural scientists and biologists and things like that. They're dudes. They're out there photographing, you know, the, the Mongolian, you know, leaf butterfly or whoever. I just made that up. <laughs> Maybe there is such a thing. I don't know. But the point well, we, is that. We all well, this have, is interesting because I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear Samantha talk about, and again, when you're ready, if you're ready, are there times you've recognized that you're going into flatline intentionally or you've been flatline in your life? Like did that did that resonate? Did you hear about the flatline sexy? Yeah, because flatline yeah, absolutely. Is when you're is when you're either unintentionally not connected to any of these geniuses, or um, or you intentionally kind of turn them off to move through a space that that doesn't feel safe. Absolutely, you know I think you know, we all have feminine and masculine energy within us, and you know some of us can be more feminine, some of us be more masculine, um, but the ability to kind of switch between the two is a pretty great skill, um, but sometimes it's not intentional. Um, you know, I notice whenever I feel very overwhelmed, I feel like I have so many things to do because, you know, I, I, I live alone. Mm-hmm. I don't have a partner. It's just me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, in, in a sense, I have no choice but to, even though it's not my nature, I have no choice but to lean into that more masculine, flatline, mm-hmm. unattached energy. Well, masculine flatline, I, I wouldn't associate yeah, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, when I say flatline, I don't mean that there's no sensuality. I mean that you've intentionally turned off all sexual energy and all sexuality. Okay. Like you've intentionally, you've intentionally or unintentionally been in a place where you're not at all in touch with sexuality whatsoever. I definitely think it is more unintentional for me when I do it. Mm-hmm. I notice it happens because I feel so disconnected. I feel so out of touch. I don't feel like I'm being my free, authentic, fun, sensual self. Um, but it comes, you know, when I don't feel taken care of, when I don't feel yeah. relaxed and at ease. Yeah. So exhaustion, yeah, being exhausted exhaustion. and yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Absolutely. Oh, it's so interesting because we've had And what I think that's by family. design because we're meant yep. they you know, they try to keep us in that exhausted state so that we can't accomplish what we need to do. And we don't feel I would flat. agree I that, that I think society did that. Society yeah, created the two in, income family and and also isolated women from their tribe, from the other women. So now we have a nuclear family mm-hmm. and we have uh nuclear family and a two income family and children and expectations that women behave in the world like men, you put all this together and now you have self-inflicted flatline for so many women. And now our, like our spiritual humanity is cut off from that amazing source of divine connection. That is the female sexuality, healthy sexuality. Whoa. Right. Let's not do that anymore, Sam. Let's just stop. (laughs) We're not going to, 
<laughs> no, more we're not going to, we don't accept it. We reject it. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's like you were well, saying earlier, so, you know, that energy is so powerful and, and though it can be a struggle to tap into it because of the structured world that we live in, if you allow yourself to release that, those cages and like lean into it, I think you can accomplish and achieve so much if you just lean into that powerful energy. And it's kind of amazing. It's amazing. And all of a sudden the world unfolds mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everything is easy. Everything it's becomes easy place, and yeah. happy. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about level two next week, uh, presentational. So the superficial external um, sexuality, because that'll be interesting also. And, and gosh, mm-hmm. Samantha, if you called in again, I, yeah, it would be interesting to hear your experiences on, on, uh, on presentation. Well, I know who also, you are now. Because we've, we've so all done it. We've all done it. Yeah. yeah. You know what's interesting, Dorothy, is that listening to you and Samantha talk is very similar to listening to Pianchi and Jonathan talk. It's the same enthusiasm, mm. even though the topics are completely different. So, oh, Samantha, yeah. if you want to hear something interesting, listen, listen to some of the political stuff we had uh, on the show earlier. I think you'd uh, uh, find that equally fascinating. This is why I like having you right after Jonathan, because we get such you know, what I would call masculine topics, politics, law, mm-hmm. um, elections, really, you know, kind of definite uh, stuff like that. Me, I'm all over the place. I'm like the, the artist, you know, politician. I mean, because I, I see art everywhere uh, as opposed to science everywhere. And so I think I think I look at life very differently. But then I have you right after Jonathan, and it's a t- the biggest change we do at Action Radio. The topics are so divergent and so different. And like I say, we were talking earlier. The guys don't want to stop talking. It's like, come on, we're going to talk about sex and sensuality. I want to talk politics, man. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> well, it's nice. Get in that area, and they yeah. can, they're exchanging yeah. ideas on a masculine topic. It's almost like the campfire. And it's mm-hmm. free, and it's the men coming together. And again, I'm not trying to be sexist. Sure, women talk politics if you no, want to. No, but men my always do come together. It's not my bag. You, know, you look it's at the pubs. Uh, men have talked <laughs> together for years. You know, that's one of the problems is the guys yeah. don't talk together because they're back at their nuclear family. You know, with, that's with, right. with the wife they're and the isolated kids. from each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's oh, not good it's either. So weird. Yeah, I agree with that. you. Mm-hmm. Communal living, co-housing, yep. and sports is the way to go. Military is, is, is not the only place men can. Uh, you know, do guy stuff. Mm-hmm. I never tell you about my drumming with uh, the, the, the guys in San Francisco when that was really big in the 80s. Oh, so much fun. We get to like drum for hours. Oh, yeah, it's great. You guys I love my friends who, who know how to hit, hit my um, djembe drum. I have friends who will come over and, and they like have experience with the djembe and mm-hmm. boy, that is really lovely to hear. I'm not familiar with that drum, but I can guess. What, what's it look like? Is it big? If you, you are probably. Um, Nice deep sound. I can take a picture and send it. It has the goat skin. They're from Ghana. And okay. um, yeah, it's just, it's like a drum circle drum. It's what you bring to a drum circle. Oh, I've done drum circle. I love I'm a good drum circle. And that, yeah, didn't do the drum circle. And, and that's you know. another example of when you connect mm-hmm. with other humans and get in, into that flow. And it's, it's amazing mm-hmm. how connected and how much it brings us together and how, and the art that you create because it's so organic. Um, but it's beautiful and it's amazing because you're all in sync. I find it sexy. Like I love, so I was at a party this week where, where a woman just put on music. It was very like spiritual Kundalini music, like a very deep beat. Um, and we danced for probably two hours. A circle of women danced for about two hours. We had so much fun. The oldest woman was in her seventies. The youngest was probably in her thirties. And also at the same house, about six months prior, there was a drum circle outside fully different energy, 
the men were playing the drums, they were leading the beat, and the women were dancing to the beat the men created, which is a fully different energy, very sexual, which very hot. Leads to the Both question are amazing. I, Both so are amazing the question for I, different reasons. I had the same question, mm-hmm. Dorothy. Why mm-hmm. do men drum mm-hmm. and women dance? I mean, that is fascinating. I don't know, but Together. they were drumming like up a storm, and they loved it. They loved mm-hmm. it. Um, we had a few men come to the circle and start dancing, but what we did is we kind of put them in the middle and just kind of danced around them, and the smiles on their faces was huge. And then wow. they would kind of shyly walk out of the circle. Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> so, but let's but you I mean, look, at, think, look at a rock concert. You know, rock musicians are usually guys, and the and the mm-hmm. people jumping up and dancing are usually women. They're, I mean, this is part mm-hmm. of why I play mm-hmm. rock and roll in a band is to have you know a bunch of really gorgeous women dancing in front of me. It's inspiring. But I think there's something. And what women well, forgot? And what women forgot was that we originally danced with each other in a, in a different way. That it wasn't. Huh. Um, so both, I think both of those energies are, are important. I think it's extremely important for women to come together in sisterhood and just dance and freely express their emotion and freely express their sensuality in celebration with each other, which we kind of talked on last week, the origins of erotic dance. Anything on that, Samantha? Because you, you, you experience dance, yes? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I, I was at a drum circle a couple weeks ago, and um, at one point during that, you know, everybody's drumming, and I, I just decided to get up and start dancing, and I had, like, the little, the little shakers in my hand, and so I was kind of, you know, moving organically to the, to the beat that everyone was creating, and, um, and it's interesting because, um, it was like you said earlier, the men create the beat to, and the women dance, and I think that's just, like, a perfect kind of metaphor for the way, you know, a man mm-hmm. leads in a relationship and, yes. and takes care of all of the, you know, the structured aspects of things. So that way the women can freely yes. express themselves and, and they inspire one God, another. I love that. That's so exciting. Yeah. Yes. Create the yeah. beat that leads us and I'll stay on your rhythm. Yet yes. I might be over here in the corner. Yet I might be on the floor. Mm-hmm. I might put it down and go get a drink of water. But the whole time the beat's going and I'm hearing it, and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love and that. seeing a woman <laughs> lean into her femininity—that's what <laughs> that's what drives the men to create even more. That's what keeps them interested. Um, yeah, makes sense to me. Yes. You know, like and I, then said, be, I, be I, I joke around with it, but it's true though that uh, there's a difference between playing before an audience and just practicing at home. I mean, I can play pretty well here, but it's, it's nowhere near as much fun as playing in front of an audience, especially if they're women dancing. Yeah, it's like when you go to any and concert, have this, the, the energy in there is amazing because everyone's well, when you have a small the group, artist, the musician. And, and when you go have a small group, now you have this connection. Um, just this topic is fascinating. When you have mm-hmm. a small group, an audience in a big rock band is one energy, but imagine a smaller group and you really have an intimate connection with the individual women there. And then the beat gets faster and it gets more intense. And at the end of the night, some magical things are going to happen behind closed doors. Like it generates this amazing intimacy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I love it. We don't call it musical foreplay for nothing, Dorothy. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, we well, I think what our, that's our time. That's our, well, I think that's <laughs> our time. And well, yeah, we ran a few minutes ago, but this, this is interesting. Yeah. We've gotten everyone titillated. I've got things to do on my new house. And, um, and I, I, I feel like next, oh, it's I lovely. Like it. And next time we're going to talk about the, the rest of the five layers of sexy. We'll get on as many as we can. We'll get over, you know, get through as many as we can. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll post about it also. And thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Samantha, call back anytime. I know who you are now. So uh, that's uh, 
My, my only other option is to, is to like play something and then call screen, which I don't want to do during Dorothy support because we only have once a week anyway. Dorothy, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure as always. This has been great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I love today's Contacts? topic and I appreciate, I appreciate it. Uh, Facebook, Dorothy, Diana. My website's yoniyoon.com. I teach private classes. I do phone consults and uh, workshops for getting women in a super fun way back into their body and their feminine sexuality and all that fabulous and, energy. And we guys appreciate it more than you know. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a great week. Bye, you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Dorothy. Nice to meet you, Samantha. All right, so this is, as Mondays go, Mondays are crazy around here. I mean, they're just, they're just wonderful. And between the two, uh, my, my reporters, Jonathan and, um, and Dorothy, and of course, I had the first hour all to myself. So we'll continue all our, all our controversies. Tomorrow, we have uh, Brianna Cannon, uh, who does government inquiry, uh, Jesse Cassi with the uh, Latino Report. And then third hour, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think I have anybody, so I'll be uh, continuing on with some theme there. Anyway, um, things are getting pretty wild uh, in the political world. And we'll see what happens, especially with uh, Robert Francis Kennedy, um, Jr. running and just uh, the, the, the politics and uh, it's, it, you know, sex and politics makes the world go around. <laughs> I should probably title the show that way, too. But this has been really a lot of fun. Podcasts will be available in just a few minutes. And, of course, if you're listening to the podcast, then you already know. And check the show notes. Check the, you can always do a search of other shows uh, at the window on top of the broadcast page. You're listening to us at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Um, my substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. And also our contribution site, uh, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And all these are on the broadcast page notes, so it should be easy to find. Um, huh, my stomach's growling. I must be hungry. Yeah, it's time for, for lunch anyway. I get up early for the show, so that's how that works. Got to play a couple things. As usual on Mondays, I haven't had a chance to play any announcements or of our of our many commercials and things. So uh, let's get to those. Then I'll have our, our, our classical music piece of the day, and that'll close us out. Back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time. Talk to you then. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need.
Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed, 
and had the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Action Radio.